captain of the Enterprise. That's right. Close to retirement? I'm not planning on it. Well, let me tell you something. Don't. Don't let them promote you. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them do anything that takes you off the bridge of that ship, because while you're there, you can make a difference. Come back with me. Help me stop Sodom. Make a difference again. Who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? What's the name of that planet? Viridian 3? Yes. I take it the odds are against us and the situation is grim. You could say that. You know, if Spock were here, he'd say that I was an irrational, illogical human being for taking on a mission like that. Sounds like fun. Expect me to talk? Good evening and welcome to episode 51 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and joining me are always are Chris and Dave and special guest Charlie of Films on Wax. How are we all doing? Excellent. Yay. I'm good, thank you. I'm very excited for this evening, because tonight we get to see a change of personnel, as well as a kind of a new ship. Yeah, we're no longer balls deep in the shad. <laughs> <laughs> we balls deep in three well, old men s- fighting. We start and end there, don't we? But yeah, We finish in the shad. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> get to see three old dudes kicking the shit out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> We have a question about that later. A couple of questions, really. It's a question I really can't answer, actually, but we'll get to it. <laughs> anyway, I've got a very long cast list to get through. So, tonight we are reviewing Star Trek Generations, starring... <gasps> Deep Breath. We've got Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sattis, Brent Spiner, Gates McFadden, Whoopi Goldberg, Navar Button, Malcolm McDowell, Michael Dawn, Alan Ruck, William Shatner, James Dewan, Rod Koenig, and also cameoed by Tim Russ, if you can spot him, without his pointy ears. And Ted Danson as Mr. Tricorder. Mr. <laughs> 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 Tricorder. <laughs> oh dear. With a score by Dennis McCarthy, written by Ronald Dumour and Brennan Braga, directed by David Carson, and released in, well, 1994 in the US and 95 in the UK. So, make it so, would we reckon to Star Trek Generations? Did it take that long to come out? No, I think it was on Christmas, like... It was November like, over there. Yeah, November and February, I think, it came out. Oh, right. See, that was back, in, see, that was back in the days where, like, um, we didn't have, like, sort of internet and, like, downloads and things like that, so this sort of thing was, like, easy, like, that's easy to come by. No, that's it. I kind of... It's literally, like, one of the first things... I don't know. It was either this or Stargate, like, to have, like, a, to sort of have a web presence, as it were. I'm not quite sure which one. Fans, you'll have to correct me. But yeah, it was kind of before IMDb.com and, you know, before the internet, things like that. Yeah, so it's like before, like, things could have a wide release in the States and be relatively unknown or, like, no one know anything about what's what's happened at all. You know, now, now nowadays, this would have been, like, spoiled a high foot by this time, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, sorry. Uh, guys, what do, what do we make of um, the Generations Star Trek film? 
thought you were going to do the generation game then. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. See you, see you see you it's a game. <laughs> I, like it. I, I like it quite a lot. I, I, I've always kind of liked it. And, um, and I watched it again this afternoon. And um, yeah, it's, I really like it. It's got a lot of flaws, but it's got a lot of heart. And there's kind of some kind of personal things that I might get into later um, that, uh, that that really kind of strike a chord with me. Um, and yeah, it's, it's certainly got some rubbish bits. And uh, it's pretty like pretty much every every other next generation film. It's uh, it's got lots of up and downs, but uh, but I am a fan. I'm with a you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you, Charlie. I I think it's a nice sort of bridge, uh, bridging film. I th- obviously I think they they tried to sort of bridge the gap between the sh- um, the original cast to the next generation. So they had so you got Shatner kind of like handing over the baton to Picard for the the film of Star Trek. Uh, sort of pantheon even though like next gen's been already been out and done by this point but i thought it was relatively uh good you know i thought i i actually really enjoyed it i um i thought it, it did what it needed to do it's very lightweight but i think it gets away with being lightweight uh, i really liked the score uh i thought it was really competently handled um i'm not too sure about the cast bit that uh the next gen cast as I don't think they're very cinematic. I think they work well on TV, but I think when they transfer them onto like the the big screen, I don't think it works as well as the original cast did. But uh, overall, I think it's a uh, it's it's a decent it's a decent one. I think it's a decent uh, Star Trek film. Uh, it wears the scars of trying to write a script with too many prerequisites, and we'll go through it as we go through the film. Um, it's a film that's kind of I look at something like the motion picture. And genuinely, and I'm not just saying this because Charlie's here, I like it, but I don't really enjoy it. I, I I think it's a very good film, but I don't enjoy it very much. And when I look at this film, I enjoy it, but I don't like it very much. I think it goes along quite nicely. I think it, it, it handles its running time pretty well. Everyone's perfectly good in it. I think considering they're converting largely TV sets, they've made it look quite beautiful and cinematic in places. But logically, it just takes a fucking high leap. It's a mess. It's an utter mess. And as we go through it, I've got a problem with almost every scene in the film and the structure of the film in general. I think they've, they've, they've wasted a crossover, but it's also a crossover that didn't need to happen. Let's pass on the baton to this crew that have been around for the best part of a decade. I don't think that was necessary, and I think it was a coda for some of the original crew after a perfect sign-off last time round. So, on balance, it's a film I enjoy, but it's it's on in terms of quality, it's one of the weakest in the series. It's a bit of a TV, well, not TV, well, yeah, I want to say TV movie, really. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I've watched it a couple of times now. Um, I don't think I saw this at the cinema. No, I think I may have been a little bit, perhaps too young, I think. Yeah. I thought you were um, waiting for us to correct you then. <laughs> How would we know? I could, I, no, I'm sure, I'm sure I remember if I could or not. Because, yeah, I would, well, I wouldn't have gotten to see Goldeneye, so I would definitely wouldn't have gotten to see this. Um, even though it probably would have been a PG or something like that. Um, yeah, it's, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, Michael does, you know, when he's not content in creating havoc as villains, you know, he's, he's doing all right here, I think. Um, he's quite terrifying. Even though there are, you know, bits does, cut out from the script. He's really he, good he, at playing. He, he really hums it up. He's really good at playing uh, unhinged. You know, he's as like guy yeah, who's just lost. Crazy. Yeah. It's just, it's just that voice as well. He's got such a good voice. 
Yeah, definitely. It's you know, so it's distinctive. Yeah, you don't have to kind of see his face. You just know it's him. Um, but no, I think it's it's a TV movie. I, I think, and that's, that's not that's not a bad thing. But I agree with a bit of what you're saying, Dave, as well. Um, it's kind of it's, it's, well, it's competent handover, but it didn't really need to happen. Um, but no, still like, overall, um, I enjoyed it, and it's kind of it's a good way in. Like if if you were late yeah. to the next generation I mean, series, it's a good way for you to come into it, even though you know. It's happened seven years ago. I've always enjoyed it. I do want to stress I've always enjoyed it. But when when you look at the the writing of this film, um, they start off with competing scripts. Um, They decide one's going to have sort of a crossover, one isn't. And there's several prerequisites they've got to have. They've got to have the original crew in it. They've got to have... um, They've got to have uh, Picard and um, Kirk interact. But they've agreed there would be no time travel per se so they have to come up with a ridiculous fucking plot device um and i mentioned this when we we talked about it might have been during the bond series i can't remember now but i was saying that when we got to star trek we get to films where the stakes are nominally high but they're fucking meaningless and what i mean by that is this that there is a planet they have to save that's got 230 million people on it but we see a, a desert we don't see any of those people. Why would we care? When we get two films down the line, they've got to save a village that's only two or three hundred people. Um, and although that's got its logical problems and, it, and its problems as a film generally, we we know who those people are and we're, in, we're much more invested in it. So to bring Kirk back to basically be another pair of hands, that's all he is, um, to protect a race we literally never see, I think is a real problem. On top of that, unlike the film series for the original crew, they are at the the peak of their powers, the next generation crew at this point. So when you look at the original film starting, there's been no Star Trek apart from the animated series for, for nearly 10 years. They're not dealing from a position of strength, particularly. Um, So they, they, they get what they're given almost by this stage. This show is enormous. Um, Patrick Stewart isn't forced to do it. And so he demands a meaty sort of sub emotional subplot um, and data. And this will speak to one of our questions later. Data is the most popular character. So Brent Spiner can demand his own plot as well. And you end up with something over stuffed stuff, trying to serve lots of different masters. And it's a mess. But from scene to scene, it's enjoyable. Can I ask just for clarity in regards to data? Um, mm. Now, as someone who isn't uh, a Star Trek fan, I haven't seen many episodes of Next Generation. Uh, mm. Is the plot device of Data Hamney's uh, this emotion chip or or something similar? Isn't that like a common thing that's always used? Is that, no. is that, is that something that's um, no, played? No, no. We're, we're introduced. Like... We're introduced to the emotion chip um, in a in a later season episode. It looks completely different in the show. In the show, it's yeah. this little sort of. It's almost like a. It's like. It's like a tiny, tiny disc with a little wedge cut out of it, whereas in this it's, like, much bigger. But the basic point is... So is this the first appearance of it? No, it's in the show and he decides he's not ready to use it. Okay. So in some respects, this this show is the most... Sorry, this show. This film is the most consistent with the TV show for data that we get. Because in the films that follow, we almost forget his character arc from the films. 
uh, from the TV show. Sorry, I'm going to trip over that all the way through tonight. Uh, but yeah, through the TV show, he, he's been on a certain arc of discovering and learning about humans. And by the time you get to like insurrection, it's all forgotten and he's learning how to play again and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, that that's fairly consistent. But as I say, how many different little plots do we have to sort of solve here? I've got real problems with the way they use Kirk. I've got real problems with the way they have Kirk and, and Picard interact. I've got real problems with the way they decide to kill Kirk off. And it's a lot of missed opportunities. And funnily enough, talking to one of Charlie's favorites, uh, Star Trek Three. um, Ronald D. Moore did a commentary track for that film. And Ronald D. Moore is one of the writers here, as well as the creator of the Back, uh, Battlestar Galactica reboot. Um, and he he was unhappy with the way this came out. They did their best, but they, they didn't achieve much of what they were trying to achieve, in their own opinions. It was directed by one of the, um, the directors of the TV show, wasn't it? Cause he's, he's, yeah, he's David like, Carson. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the better TV episodes as well, it has to be said. Yeah, I, I must. Prefer, I, I do prefer his the TV shows, TV shows, the TV episodes of this he directed rather than this film. I must say. I mean, I've, I rate him as a director of, in, in terms of track the TV show, but and this, I, it didn't handle it so well. As I agree with what you were saying. Sorry to cut you off, Chris. But, yeah, I think this film is kind of it's packed in with, with too many things, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it when we come to it. Anyway, carry on, Chris. Sorry to cut you up. No, I, I, I just think considering that he's a TV director, I think he's shot very well. I mean, I, I, I don't, oh, I agree. I think. Oh yeah, sure. I, I, I don't think if you told me, I mean, I would have assumed that um, it was like experience um, film director. You know, who, no, who this is his, this. this is his, a big screen. This is his debut. And and is, is, started is, out on Coronation Street of all places. What wasn't it? It's only cause the thing I looked him up previously. I couldn't spot anything more significant other than this that's not TV. No, I think uh, it is a big screen pretty much right. directorial yeah. debut, yeah. isn't it? I guess. Which, you it's know... difficult to stand out in Star Trek because you're 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 coming into a franchise. Yeah. Mm. And a, a lot of the complaints about this film were it was too much like the TV show. Well, in some respects, that's what you're stuck with if you've Under got the, the point, Enterprise yeah. E, and you're months away from the TV show running. I mean, with the with the films, with the motion picture, you can say, well, it's ten years later. Here's a refit. It looks different. They're all older. It's bound to look like the TV show. But what they achieve with lighting and some of their choices of shots, I think is terrific. Yeah. I think the, I think the image for me that stands out is uh, the shot of Malcolm McDowell overstretching out for the Nexus. You know, I think it's used in the trailer, but I think that, that itself is quite like a, a striking visual. It's a really iconic image. Yeah, yeah. It? It's, so I think, I think it's quite good. Sorry, Charlie, I've just like completely cut you off. No, 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 no. That's, that's fine. I mean, I mean, yeah, the, the, the lighting is, is amazing. And... Um, I, I go so far as to say as this is potentially the best-looking Star Trek film of the lot because um, for all the, like Dave said, all the, um, the the sets and things like that that are used reused from the next generation, um, the, it just looks beautiful. And, and the, the guy who actually did the cinematography was a guy called um, John Alonso, and he, he did stuff like Chinatown and he did um, bits of... Um, he did some more close encounters, and he did Harold and Ward and Vanishing Point and things like that. Well, so the, to particularly of that list, Chinatown's a gorgeous film. Oh, and Vanish, yeah. Vanishing yeah, it looks Point amazing. takes on quite a large canvas for such a small film. Yeah, because I, th- I think the, the technical side of the film is is really good. I think I think effects wise as well. Again, it was kind of in the midst of that crossover where CG was kind of creeping more into being used a lot, but still not as the main tool. We see a lot so of like models and of, in-camera effects. Yeah, don't we, yeah in the, the, the models look beautiful in this film, and especially really the uh, the bits of the Enterprise 
D that are not recycled from the TV show because the there bit are a when it of... arrives at the uh, the, the laboratory. Yeah, oh, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's low lit there, and it is gorgeous. It yeah. really is, and it's not a cinematic ship in the same way the E is. So no. I think they've done it. I think they've done a terrific job. I have to say, I'm I'm not going to slaughter this film. It, it was it, it might sound like it at points as we go through, because I think they've they've done so much quote unquote wrong. But it looks great, and everyone is very good in it. And I said earlier in the series, it might be, from a very poor selection, the most entertaining next-gen film. Mm. And uh, certainly, th- what you said, the weakest point is is the writing. Um, and like, like you said, the prerequisites of, of having, to, having to have Kirk and Picard next to each other and mm. the whole handing the baton thing off is kind of just, just ridiculous. And um, just, yeah. Puts you, puts you into a corner that you don't need, and also um, the fact the fact that they were writing this at the same time as all good things. Yes. So yes. you you kind of you've got the finale of one show, the series finale, and then you've got a big screen version of that. And at the same time, the the, the overseer of all of it is trying to launch Voyager. Yeah, exactly. And Deep Space Nine is still running. Yeah. So at this point, this is this is Trek's peak in terms of its uh, popularity. Not necessarily this film, but this this two or three year period around here. Yeah, this, when you it's sorry, did this do um, really well at the box office? It did pretty well. I think it did about one hundred and eighteen. When you think, I think the Voyage Home did one hundred and thirty something. Um, but yeah, it, it it's in the top few. It did pretty well. Off a thirty-five million budget. At this point, they were still making films relatively prudently. So mm. one hundred and eighteen off thirty-five is pretty decent return. They always say three times your budget. It beat that. Especially since Star Trek has never been a massive box office thing. Yeah, they made it sensibly. The money was tight. I, I, you know, the, all the way through. As with many of these films, they were t- saying the money was very, very tight. And, and scenes they see. wanted to shoot, they couldn't. And we get to the aftermath of action sequences and things like that because they can't afford to do them. Mm. Mm. And we do get a recycled shot later on. We'll get to yeah. that. But it just goes to a testament to actually how the film actually looks considering that the money was tight, that how good it actually does look. You know, it doesn't... I quite agree. And it's a big cast. And it's a big cast that don't have to do it. So, yeah, they're, they're, none of them would have come cheap at this point. So, yeah, there had to be a handover. They decided very earlier on they were going to have... They had these competing scripts. We won't go into that too much. There was a lot of rewrites, a lot of talking to Shatner and and um, um, uh, Stuart about different ideas. Uh, and this is what we ended up with. They always wanted to do... They always liked the Excelsior, the writers. Hence the Enterprise B being pretty much the Excelsior. Well, it was always- it was always destined to be that because that's when it was on the next generation's wall. Good point. I never thought of that. Yeah. So that kind of yeah. So I mean, obviously they they made adjustments to it, so it's not just like the Excelsior. There's other there's the extra impulse engines and the little fins and bits and things like that, and the the whole kind of tapers out differently at the sides, mm. um, a bit like a squid. But um, yeah, because cause, yeah, cause the wall, I mean, I, I'm assuming, I don't know if, if with Chris and Becca, how much they know about the wall. It's in only the, in the uh, earlier series, although you do see it in uh, All Good Things again, obviously. 
Yeah. In the, uh, if the you room. go into, you actually see a version of it next week in the, on the yeah. E, they call back to it where he breaks, you broke your little ships. Yeah. Well, ah. on the on the uh, original sort of observation lounge in the, which is the same type of room that Picard and Lily have their conversation. Well, in that equivalent on the D, where they have their meetings, there are kind of almost embossed models on the wall. It's it's kind of it's not two dimensional, but it's only slightly sticking out of the wall, and it's the shape of all the forebears of the Enterprise D. Oh. Along the wall. So, if you, what Charlie's saying is, if you look at it, you can actually see roughly what the Enterprise B would have always have looked like. Yeah, because on, on, I don't know how if it was what it was in the original series, but even on on the motion picture on the observation deck, there um, they had the the different images of Enterprises of past. So you had the space shuttle, and there was the like the, the old ship. Um, the boat, and then like there was some precursors. Um, so I guess it's just kind of going from there. But it's, it's, it's interesting, yeah, interesting to have something like that. Um, that's the set in motion, and then seven years later, you have to go back and uh, and follow the continuity. Okay, shall we discuss this film sequentially? Yes, why not? Why not? Um... I'll be honest, I think the opening shot is actually really, really nice. I think for unlike most, um, well, like the Star Trek films that have started before, we have a slight long shot in space. Now we get like actual, like a, a slow, long uh, spinning shot of a bottle floating through space as it slowly smashes aboard the, uh, the sorry to say, the surface of, uh, of the uh, of new, of, is, it, is it the Enterprise? Have I got the Enterprise right? B. Yeah. Enterprise, Enterprise B. B. Um, I, I, I think it was really, really nicely done. It was a nice, refreshing change considering that you know we all had this, like this, the, you know, the big fanfare with space for the uh, credits over, over top of it. It was actually like a nice, subtle, nice and low key, isn't it? Yeah, and quite sort of like stylish, uh, stylish and visual, you know, and thoughtful. And yeah, I, 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 I really dug that all uh, the thought of the opening scene. Yeah, it's got a lovely atmosphere to it, and uh, it's got kind of. One of those things where you're not sure when you're what you're seeing originally, until you actually kind of see the bottle, and then you see the label up close and things, and it kind of comes together slowly. And then it's when it smashes, it's kind of almost like a little shock, and then you realise it's uh, it's it's the kind of champagne against the whole launching ceremony. And I, I, I think one of the things I really like, I really do like the score in this film. Uh, it's not like your typical you know reused of the uh, next gen uh, theme. Um, it's it it does sound like it's part of Star Trek, even though it's not necessarily like well neat well like uh, well known if you know what I mean. It's not like uh, it's not commonly used, but it, it feels at home. You know, it it fits right into the pantheon of Star Trek. Yeah, it's it's not bad. We get a better one next week. Oh, do you? Okay, well I'll look forward to that one because I've, I've, I can't, I can't I can't for the life of you know what we get a really good Jerry Goldsmith score next week. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I do really like Generation, so I, th- I think it's a lovely score, and um, it uses the fanfare really well. But the, the the main theme is really nice as well, and a lot of kind of later scenes where um, it kind of it kind of plays out quite strongly. Um, yeah, and it's 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 really nice. It really works well in the film. It's one of the best scores I think we've well in terms of the next gen series. I I quite like it a lot. But yeah, I can't wait to have Jerry Goldsmith uh, next week. Yeah, it, I'm not. I'm never been sure about this scene. Now, originally, and you'll hear it in little bits of dialogue, 
It was going to be Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. You don't say. <laughs> no. Now, which is the obvious line that gives that away? Uh, I think it's Chekhov all of a sudden becoming like a doctor. <laughs> you, you and you, you're going to be nice. Come with me now. Yeah. The other line that gives it away for me is, Captain, is there something wrong with your chair? That's, there's, that's there's, like, there, there's some, there's some yeah. generic, generic lines. Obviously, Nimoy was going to be in it. And then he was like, no. And obviously, they gave his lines to James Dern. And it's just like, it's very generic. And mm. Leonard yes, Nimoy was offered the director's chair. Anyway, yes. Yeah. Um, and he turned it down on the basis that it needed a page one rewrite, in his opinion. He hated the script of this film. Um, and then he refused to do that. And they wouldn't rewrite this scene because he said the lines weren't right. And so they wouldn't do it. So they got Dewan and Koenig. Um, Walter Koenig apparently signed on on the basis that he was promised his own subplot. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, sorry about that. Well done there. Um, and, Later got it, sorry. And Scotty, well, the last few years of his life, he wasn't very well. He had Alzheimer's. And, and a, I do wonder if he's starting to get ill here. Because you can kind of see it a little bit, can't you, in his, in his face? I think bit. it's in his line delivery. I think his line delivery is awful. Yeah, it's a little it bit like It sounds oh. really cue cardy. What did you think, Charlie? Yeah, no, the, the, some of it sounds a bit natural, but like just as in he's gone the autopilot. But there's, I mean, to be honest with you, some of the, some of the, the lines that he's given as well. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the one that always stands out for me is, is the way um, they're, they're they're phasing out in and out of the space-time continuum, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's yeah. a terrible, and it's, it's a terrible, terrible line. But it, but it's like he's never encountered dialogue like that before. Yeah, and you think you've been doing Star Trek for like twenty-five years. You can tell yeah, it's, it's the like, fucking. There's somebody holding up an idiot board. You yeah. can tell it's the fucking next generation though, because instantly it's techno babble all the way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's quite a lot of jargon. Like if you if this is your first, if you're coming into the Trek universe for the first time. Not a good place to start, I don't think. And also, it's just a little bit weird how you think of where Chekhov usually sits, and and like, and then there's Scott. He's literally sitting in where like Sulu sits. You think actually, wouldn't you think Chekhov would be sitting in the in, in the pilot's chair or like or that that front desk while like Scott would be out like down downstairs in engineering doing something? That would be like the, the natural expertise. But it's just a bit weird. It's just like, hang on, what logic is this? Like, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But I must say, I must say, Walter Curling does do a good McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> he, you, you and you, he, come he, with me now. <laughs> he, he, do, he does a better McCoy than Scotty does Spark, I must admit. Absolutely. Um, I'm a bit surprised, you know, you think the Enterprise, Federation flagship, best of the best of the best. This captain, I mean, he, he makes like Kirk being di- you know, promoted direct from the Academy in the reboot look seasoned. But it's, it's Cameron from Ferris Bueller, isn't it? So. Yeah, and but he is terrible, absolutely terrible. But that, that's the whole point um, of it, though, isn't it? Obviously, he's you know he's wet, very wet convincing, but obviously he's kind of yeah, like, oh yeah, but but there's, he, there's he knows he's being the watched years, by... and there's I'm an idiot. Because <laughs> yeah, he has there's nothing at all, and then, and he just kind of uh, every little kind of challenge to um, his situation, he just kind of sulks and kind of. Sh- panics and then eventually says all right you take over because you've got the experience and it and it, it's, it's all very telegraphed obviously for uh, for shatner to come in i know but isn't that just obvious from the fact that it's you know kirk on board the enterprise it's like it's the whole like oh yeah it's the whole thing, big thing i mean like i mean there is like a nice sort of thing like of kirk not really wanting to make a big fuss he's a little bit embarrassed by the whole like 
press camera crew and like the fact that you know he's like everyone's making a big deal out of him and it's like oh do you want you know can he keeps you, uh... looking at the he keeps looking at the chair like he wants to go over and hump it he <laughs> does that's the first thing as soon as he comes into that room that's the first thing he claps eyes on like hmm which is and also, i suppose the um the line about um it's like you already said so about making time um, oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, where did you find time to make a, make a family? He's yeah, like, well, so, if like, you want to do it, you will make time. Trust me, it doesn't always take that long. That um, <laughs> sounds like nothing that Kirk would ever say. I know. And um, no. and sounds like something like, like they just read Lord of the Rings a few too many Kirk times. Kirk was never interested in his cruise for life. Um, no, so that was, really. all, that was a little bit odd. Um, what, what was the point also, in introducing um, like, Sulu's daughter? Like... I always think, well, what really was the point? Well, in that? the original, the original treatment had it was going to be the Enterprise A, and I don't know how the fuck this was going to work, given they retired at the end of the last one, but it was going to have Sulu in it, and like Sulu, uh, you know, George Takei is saying like, well, hang on a minute, I was captain in the last film, I can't go back to being helmsman, so they did have different ideas, and it was part of trying to keep that lineage. And again, it's overthinking that we've got to see this progression. Does anyone care whether there's a Sulu on board if it's not the Sulu? Bit token Sulu. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. And the other thing is, in this scene, you get absolutely the best and worst of William Shatner. Because mm. when he's saying keeping busy, oh, and the bit where they make him do the sort of the call to take us out. <clears throat> take us out. That, that, that's, my eye. that's really funny but when he goes we tag like that you make a lousy sky drink that's a <laughs> shit delivery. I see what you mean now I understand that it is Shatner is uh, like doing what you want Shatner to do at his most Shatner yeah I mean it's not it's not exactly Rafa Khan kind of level Shatner but but you know but it's not exactly um, like Final Frontier it's that nice sort of balance it's kind of what you want from um, a final uh, appearance one Kurt you want him to go you want him to be the Shatner that you want but you don't want to be over Shatner because that'd be terrible but if you know, if you get a drift well the shout out to uh, Vasquez from Aliens um, being the uh, communications officer yeah. oh yeah, well, yeah. Um, what I also like is they got rid of the poodle on his head from the last film and replaced it with a miniature schnauzer <laughs> <laughs> terrible <laughs> wigs all around shit wig this is a bad wig um, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit confused because they only like retired a couple of years before, and the Enterprise was supposed to carry on. But here we are, and it's an odd scene. So, Dave, what's odd about it apart from the obvious? Like, well, what, what else do you find odd about it? Um, none of it kind of sits right. I mean, uh, if you're a Trek fan, the whole timeline goes a bit screwy in your head. That how how come they're there? How come this is all happening the way it's happening? But if you take all that out. You've got an Enterprise captained by someone completely incompetent. A load of other crew that make no impression whatsoever. Scotty and Chekhov uh, not being Scotty and Chekhov. Shatner having uh, gained a ton of... I mean, he's getting older, it's fair enough. Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. I mean, but, I mean, it, it just doesn't look very good in this. And they've got this strange contrived sequence where he runs off to do something... And it's going to be a problem through the film because the Nexus doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You've also got that once again they're the only fucking um, uh, in the, the, the they're the only ship in the sector. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where um, you're going there, Dave. And Sorry. They're, they're, they're at Earth. Earth. 
because that all that always happens. That's like that's like a classic Star Trek trope. It's always oh yeah, we're the only ship in the because uh, that happened in motion in the motion picture. That happened in the Final Frontier. Um, it's it's always you're you're the closest ship, even though you're at Earth. <laughs> it's like and, and why would you launch the ship without any of its stuff? I mean, yeah. space is a dangerous place, but they got nothing. It's like. All right. Well, so it's meant to be like a test voyage, but still, if it's not like fully operational, mm, yeah. Why, why would you have a big opening ceremony for a ship that's half finished? It's not. Yeah, it hasn't got half its crew or. Half yeah. Well, well, I, I well, guess I guess in the world put, where, where money doesn't exist and people just like just work for the sake of working, I guess that's what happens. But you there. don't launch a car <laughs> and then put the tires on a month later, do you? <laughs> well, the brakes aren't ready yet, but we'll just give it a quick run around the block. We'll get them next Tuesday. <sighs> yeah, that was meant to be funny as well. <laughs> Tuesday. I kind of like that line, but I... let, let me guess. Tuesday. Mm. No, I just I just think it's a bit. It's yeah, it's too telegraphed. I mean, I think it's funny. Um, I think Andrew looks quite funny. He does. Admittedly, it's kind of like as a Cameron grew up having managed to get through Starfleet somehow, launched a million years into the future or whatever. But um, <laughs> it's, it's it's too telegraphed for me. Um, that just it's a bit, it's a bit yeah, cringeworthy. It's, it's, it's all there as as a reason for Kirk to. Supposedly yeah, die, but yeah, but the, 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 the whole kind of ship sequence is good, and the the effects. I mean, the the CGI here, considering this was like at the real kind of cusp of um, when it started to kind of fade in, was really it good. Was, and the whole well, I oh, think that's, what, yeah, definitely for sure. Charlie. But what I would say is that even though you know Terminator Two a couple of years before and all the rest, yeah. we're at an era, we're in an era at this point where you couldn't do good CG cheaply mm. um so it's quite impressive it's not a massive budget film this so yeah i think they do a really good job yeah because there's one of the shots where you see the um the enterprise going towards the nexus from like the the left hand side and the entire shot is cg and it's just just because i remember when it came out there was a um you've got a video a videotape of it with <clears throat> the sun um, there was the newspapers are available. Yeah, it was like this, this videotape preview, um, and on and on it was a little kind of documentary about the film, and they were showing how they did that scene, and uh, and yeah, it's just just really really impressive, mm, and uh, and that that final shot where well, where um, it pans out, yeah, yeah. Of course, just to explain what's happening, Kirk's had to go down to fix something techno babble. Yeah, <laughs> and the ship is hit by the Nexus like, right Like there. Spock in Rafa Khan, like he's gone to fix something. Explaining all the science. <laughs> what he, again, what he didn't do was go down and kick <laughs> his shit out of something. <laughs> no. I'll go down, I'm more, I'm more experienced at kicking. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a little bit of like kind of gut feeling about it though, isn't there? Like, when Shatner's behalf, like, he just seems like... I don't know, there's some sort of set of destiny about him going like, no, I'll go, kind of. Your place is on the ship, I'll take your place. Yeah, kind of. There's a little bit of like, I don't know, no, I think, yeah, there's a little bit of like a, I I don't know, something in his head telling him to do that, even though it's like he has a little bit of a, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this or not, but I don't know about you guys. Hmm. So anyway, they've got, get, <laughs> they've got to get about, there's 130-odd people and they managed to get, I don't know, 40-odd or whatever it is. 
I, I forget yeah, the exact numbers now, but they managed to get some survivors. Yeah. Like 47, 47 out of 150. Yeah. Yeah. And of those survivors, we've got Whoopi Goldberg. Happy yeah, birthday, Ms. Goldberg, by the way. 61 today. Happy birthday. Yeah, she's un- uncredited again. I don't quite know what's going on here. Um, she has to be uncredited in the TV show. Oh, did she? Oh, fair enough. Whoopi Goldberg was friends with LeVar Burton. And she said to him around the time Next Generation was launching that she wanted to be on it. And LeVar, um, happy happy birthday whenever yours is as well, LeVar. Probably not today, but you, I, know, you never know. I would imagine they're still friends. Um, <laughs> well, we had a tweet from him earlier, or rather Charlie did anyway. Um, Tell you more about that later, listeners. Yeah, something about his lawyers and 500 meters. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, it was nice, really. And he said, um, he he relayed that message, but the producers kind of thought she was joking because, like, Whoopi Goldberg was quite a big star then. Um, and it got repeated after the first season, and they were like, oh, right. So they created the, the role of Guinan for her. Now, that, again, was playing very against type because Whoopi Goldberg was always loud and brash and larger than life in everything she played. And Guinan is a quiet, thoughtful person from a race of listeners um, She's basically Yoda. Instead, she was inspired into acting by Nichelle Nichols in the '60s show because she could not believe a black woman was in a position of power on a ship, or at least an important job, and it inspired her. And she'd always wanted to be on Star Trek thereafter. I don't know what season she started on, but I mean, she, she won an she won an Oscar in in 1990 for Ghost. Yeah. So for touching up Demi Moore. That that is that is like an odd, odd seeing that. <laughs> I mean, like, do do you like do you like Guinan as a character though? Because uh, I remember watching. Oh, I, like um, I remember watching the Q uh, Q Who like Who Q or Q Who or yeah, and uh, it was like obviously that's the first introduction to uh, the Borg, and it was the the whole like oh who who are these who are these Borg things like oh well okay I I, I came across them they they wiped out my whole race. Really, Guinan, why didn't you fucking tell us about them before? You know, we think that might be something <laughs> that we might like to know about in case we come across them. But like, you know, it's like bu- it was busy in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a little thing. Customer on staff, you know, she was touching up Demi Moore. I mean, like she's like the character, like uh, <laughs> uh, like like in that there was that other episode where like they enter like the new uh, there's like alternate dimension. And everything gets switched around and like. Everyone thinks like, like, like this, they believe that they're in the right universe, even though except Whoopi Goldberg. Like, no, I've got a bad feeling about this, and then like, and that alone convinces Picard. Go like, well, I, I think we should. You'll find potentially out Picard, commit is, Picard has known her for decades. Mm. Yeah, he's come, to, he's come to trust her instincts, and that race has sort of senses we do not. Okay. So they're never fully explained. So, yes, it does allow itself, you know, it does lend itself to that sort of deus ex machina. There's no doubt. Yeah. But it's not entirely inconsistent with the character as presented. Yeah, she just just strikes me as like the kind of, uh, she's the the person on board the ship who's like that bartender who comes and like perches and talks to for advice, you know, (laughs) that that, that kind of thing. She's kind of like costuming that and a little bit of like, you know. Yoda and they live and... hundreds of years as well. So yeah. I mean, you find out in an episode she's been married about twenty-seven times or something, <laughs> and she's also in a season. I think it's season six. It may be season five. There's a there's a an episode called Times Arrow where you see her in like the nineteen hundreds. 
and she looks ostensibly the same age. Mm. Um, so yeah, she's but she lives centuries, which kind of undermines the villain when we get to him. But we'll get there. But I'm um, also, all, she always looks the same. Also, amongst the survivors is Malcolm McDowell. Yay! Yay. I was Drugs. And she's quite calm, but he's really panicking that he wants to go back. He's crazy. And that's about it for this sequence, isn't it? Except they find Kirk's dead. Well, yeah, they, don't, they, they assume Kirk's been sucked into space. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, yeah. they assume that he's, he's died. They, yeah. They didn't realise where he's actually gone, but they just assume. Oh. Kirk sucked off on his ship for the final <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a big hole. <laughs> it, it was. <laughs> What's it? Like waving a pencil round in the Albert Hall. <laughs> I was watching Goldfinger, but you know, where he sucked out of the out of the window, you know, not like this. Talking about something. <laughs> anyway, moving right. on. Next. Moving on. We cut seventy-eight years later. It's very specific. It's very That's quite specific. specific. And this doesn't really look like a real ship, does it? It looks like a toy ship. <laughs> it's, it's one of the. I mean, the effects in this film. I think, considering also you've got CGI like on the cusp, um, and a lot of the model work in this film. This is like. The absolute, I don't know, well, idea, think, I guess, of, 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 of the effects. It's a real ship. How does a ship do that? It's a real ship on real water, but it's just no. it's a full-size one. And, and when you do see close-ups of, like, uh, the signature, uh, the sort of the ship itself, it doesn't look that great. But that's money again. Yeah, it was, no, it was called the, it? Uh, the Lady Washington. I'm trying to say, it's, it's a real ship, it's got its own, you know, its own crew. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. They just dressed it up to, to be the Enterprise, I think the paint yeah. job they did on it is, is just a little... It's Very a little colourful. primary colour, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's effectively, they're all dressed a bit Horatio Hornblower. <laughs> they're there to basically promote um, Worf. Yay. I don't know why I went Worf like that. But they're there <laughs> to promote Worf, apparently. Um, Isn't this pretty much just like his only... Like interaction in the film, though, because I, I, be, I, I can't bear, I can't remember Michael anything Thorne else he was did. Much, much happier when first contact came along because they gave him something to do. He was yeah, not really happy. Much with this it's pretty much the you know, three old guys and then yeah. the data and the four shows. Does, have, isn't a, it pretty does much? have a line later that makes no sense at all, but we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, he's promoted and comedy ahoy. <laughs> Next generation cannot do fucking comedy, can they, Charlie? <laughs> That's even before we get to Mr. You know. Well, yeah, oh. I, I, I have well, a, I, that I, being there, but I don't have as much of a problem with Data's comedy no, being bad. I, I like the Data stuff, especially given it's his first chance at, at doing it. Yeah, and next to LaForge, it does work. Whereas here, it's just kind of like I, I do laugh when he chucks Doctor Crusher in, but again, that's Data. That's his time, um, comic time. I, I, do, I, do yeah. think, I do think it's harsh how they kind of, kind of like go, like, oh, I don't know, I won't go to uh, the, the, the med- medical bay anytime soon. You think like, yeah, that wasn't hell, funny. He's, it's he's, like, he's, what, what well, should he fucking know? He's a robot. He's like, you think you just, you know, he's there trying to learn. He's like, you can't blame him. You can't hold a grudge against him. It's not like... No duckums for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they promote, they promote Worf to Lieutenant Commander. And Picard has... Uh, uh, what, what am I doing? Woof! Lieutenant Commander. Um, <laughs> sorry, what? I'm going through puberty and reverse listeners. <laughs> I'll be Alan Jones by the end of this episode. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? 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 H
Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, I we mentioned an episode when we did the intro called Family, mm. which is one of Charlie's favourites, and the relevance of it becomes apparent here. Mm. I think probably before you watch this film, maybe watch Family or watch Susan oh, Jones. Yeah, it's not the same kid though, mm. or it's not the same photo of some kid, the same kid anyway. No, so. but it helps yeah, more of an understanding where he's coming I'm from. I'm guessing it was kind of. Well, I, I don't know why they didn't use the... Uh, he's probably older by that point, I don't know. Yeah, but there must still be photos of him and on-set photos. And, uh, but anyway, oh, that, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it, um, this kind of stuff happens sometimes, doesn't it? And I it's know, kind it's of... just like that, just undercut it a little bit. And particularly, yeah. and a shout-out to the Haphazard Stuff review here, when he looks at it in the photo album with the sort of holographic edges. Yeah. It's just, looks... what, what's the fucking point of that? It's a photo album of the future. Uh, that is the one thing <laughs> that made me... Um, the, the one thing out of everything while watching this film that, that made me kind of um, actually write things down <laughs> because it was so bad. It's like, is this, 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 this the... Uh, yeah. The, the 2283 Captain Picard Panini sticker album. <laughs> <laughs> They're quite shiny, special, aren't they? It's literally outside and on the other side. Holographic edges. Ready? Yeah, that's the one. Centre forward. Panini sticker album. Got need. That scene he does with Troy later. Got, got need. Yes. Sopsies. Yeah, so, that would so be something who, entirely different if I wrote it. So for those who haven't seen Family, I, who, yeah. who, who is the kid we are referring to? It is Jean-Luc's uh, nephew. Okay. And he is the son of Picard's brother, Robert. And they basically live on and run a vineyard in France. Um, and we see them in the season four episode family. Renee at that point, I don't know, I'm guessing 11 or 12 or something like that. I suppose. I don't know. Um, but yeah, basically they've both been killed in a house fire. Originally the plan was for Robert to have had a heart attack. Uh, that was supposed to have sort of struck more at, um, uh, sort of Picard's own mortality, but, uh, Patrick Stewart felt it needed to be something far more, shocking to him as opposed uh, to actually really shake him up and so they went with the house fire idea but just kill everyone off like kill the well it takes away the family line as well and that's the thing with Picard because he does yeah. he's, he's sacrificed for his career and he talks about the Picards that were at Waterloo or whatever it was he says um, there are Picard, a number of Picards through history and the family line would go on through um, Rene. And of now, of course, that's not going to happen. I wonder how many uh, how many swaps he had to do to get the Rene with the special holographic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had a picture of some different kid first. Which <laughs> <laughs> the Klingon one? What's his name? Dur- Duras. Yeah. <laughs> Which again is something that kind of is is. Um, Continued in this film from the series, which is from a double episode called Redemption. Yeah, yeah, the Klingon Civil War. Mm. Speaking of kids, where the fuck is Wesley? Mm. On a different plane of existence. He went off with the Traveller in the penultimate episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. He comes. He comes back in time to sort of re-enlist in Starfleet and go to a wedding, but we'll get to that in a later film. (laughs) 
when you become the next stage of human evolution and exist on a different plane to the rest of us, you really want to come back and be an ensign and do a toast. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, also, you, you guys, obviously, Dave and Charlie are sort of, you know, sort of Trek fans, as it were, whereas obviously, Chris, you know, and I are probably more, much more of a fan than I am. But with this sort of series, obviously, sort of growing up with the next generation and things like that, this it's gonna sound really stupid, but you really have to pay attention with the series because there's lots of flitting between like different types of you know different versions of the Enterprise, different um, different. You know, I can't think what, what the word is like. A lot of time traveling involved, and flitting between back and forth, back and forth, and you kind of you really got to keep up, haven't you? It's one of these things you can't just switch your brain off. Um, and that's, that sounds really really stupid. I, I mean, you can, you can. I mean, you can sort of take it as it is because we've gone into this film, yeah. and you've got it's fairly efficiently set up. You've got Picard is now heartbroken and struggling to deal with his own emotions. That is supposed to link to the C plot that um, Data as realizes he cannot effectively develop any further without getting in touch with human emotions. You can't be a real boy. Um, and that's supposed to link vaguely to the main plot because of time or something. And we'll get there. So then they get the distress call to say that the uh, observatory has been attacked. Ah, yes. That's and Picard gets a bit up to it. Well, um, at Riker. Just do it! Yeah, just do it! Obviously, um, never used in a Nike episode. A Nike effort. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Actually, that would have been a production tie-in because uh, Riker has a habit of putting his leg up, and he could have been wearing Nike trainers. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to he likes to intimidate the helmsman with his crotch. If you watch a lot of the series, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they beam aboard uh, Malcolm McDowell. I nearly said Malcolm McLaren. That didn't happen. <laughs> oh dear, that could have gone badly. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't. Um, yeah. And and he's a real ungrateful little twat. He is. He's like, I need to go back. I need to go back. Why? Why? He's desperate to see the captain. The ship's a lot busier. You can tell they've got more money for extras. Yeah. She's got, a queue, she's got a queue a bit in 10 forward. <laughs> Yay. What are the kind of drinks they're serving? Something new from Focus 3. <laughs> yes. That's not a bad scene. I, I like that scene. It's funny. Data detesting something for the first time. <laughs> I hate and this. He, and he's what? loving Please. the fact he hates it. So he wants more of it. Yeah. Funny. Pretty good. And, ag- and again, starting to see um, um, Geordie as the uh, as a straight man to, to his buffoonery. You had a tweet from him, didn't you? Yeah. Apparently Let's he sees him as... Uh, I can't remember what he said now. Let's have a look. Let's try and find out. <laughs> Again, we're going to die out on that story. I got this tweet. And, uh, <laughs> don't remember what it said. Let's just find out. We'll try and find it. Hold on. <laughs> that, that's like Becca's story about her Atos friend last week, isn't it? I've got a friend who works for Atos, and I'm saying nothing more. <laughs> I, was quite, I, was, I was very angry. What, a, what an anecdote. <laughs> it's, it's very angry. Anyway, where is it? Well, he tweeted Whoopi Goldberg, but she hasn't replied as far as I know. Yeah. The tweet of asking about Ted Danson for another share. Yeah, yeah, we don't know about that. I so. take that wrong. Well, I don't know if she does take it wrong. Does she don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Evie Goldberg? Uh, yeah, they did, date, they did date in the early 90s. So she probably has seen him fall off a chair. Yeah. 
Some might mm. say she pushed him off the chair. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Well, his career's never been the same since. No. Oh, shit. <laughs> Dated her and cheers ended after a mere 11 years. Some will say that since, oh. since he fell off the chair, that's how he got his white hair. Probably oh, really? the shot. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so we've not heard. <laughs> no, we haven't heard. No, Lamar Burton replied to you, now, Charlie, didn't he? But we haven't heard from Whoopi yet. Now, apparently, they say, they say, I don't know who they are, but they say time is the fire in which we burn. That's which quite a striking line, isn't it? That's quite a really good line. Yeah, it sounds completely fucking made up to me. I've never heard anything like that. <laughs> they say, who well, are, yeah, who are these people? El- El- Elorians. Um, yeah, maybe it's some poet in the future or some guy in the future. Yeah, it yeah. could be an Elorian on uh, the future wherever. ghost of uh, Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of the um, the line in Blade Runner: "The light that burns twice as fast burns twice as bright." The uh, the creator says to uh, um, Roy Batty, Roy Gahawa. Uh, kind of oh. reminds me of that, that kind of line. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've never for? been sure about any of this, and and it will come to to it when we get to because I think they missed an opportunity with this cramming this character in. Because, again, one of the prerequisite is they wanted a Khan-type villain. Don't they always want a Khan-type villain every time they do it was, yeah. it was actually said, and I wouldn't have gone this route. We'll talk about it a bit later. If you were insisting on having the handing over of the baton, oh, the yeah. needing to get into this Nexus thing, I would have made it. We'll get to it. Okay. Well, there's only one up this one, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, but, I, uh, I, I kind of like... The villain as he is anyway, you know, in terms of like, I don't think he's someone who is. He's always great. Like he's a, he's a good scenery cheering villain. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's he's great, but and you and can understand his, it, this is a trick. You can understand where, well, I say you can understand where he's coming from. You know, in the fact that well, he's clearly unhinged and crazy. And besot- yeah, but it's meant to be because this Nexus. Yeah. It's meant to be because this Nexus is so amazing. Yeah. But Picard gets over it fucking immediately. And Guinan so, is like pretty so, pretty cool about it too. Pretty she, nonchalant. She, does pay, she pays like um lip service to I've I've taken a long time, you know, I've tried very hard to forget it. Yeah. But she looked more sad than anything, whereas he was unhinged. What was happening in his dream in the next <laughs> I bet it must have it must have been Well it's probably uh fast forward um Double speed sex scenes and lots of Beethoven on Moog. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> um, or he could be flying helicopters with Roy Scheider. There you go. Perhaps <laughs> both. Perhaps he's fucking Roy Scheider at high <laughs> speed on a helicopter <laughs> with Beethoven. Whereas Whoopi Goldberg, she's like, "Well, Ted's falling off a chair." <laughs> this is shit. That's not where I wanted to go. Um, All right. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, I'll touch again, it on Debbie Moore, yeah. I don't think we're ever really sold that this place is just so impossible to forget because yeah. the dream sequences we get are a kind of, we'll get to them, but they're a bit underwhelming, really. Yeah, Picard's idea of heaven is just like, really? He just, just wants to do Charles Dickens cosplay. Yeah. It does look very weird, doesn't it? It's meant to be his went, family, but it's very got a very the air about wife, it. Which makes me wonder what David Carson's fantasies are. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they've got cholera the next year. Which, <laughs> which century is this in? You know. Yeah. And then at the end, he's like, oh, "I never wanted any of this," and it's just. Oh. 
That really confuses me because like at the very at the start of the series, obviously he's kind of he's quite gruff and he's like, I'm not a family man, you know, no, no children on the bridge, things like that. And then obviously his kind of arc is that he kind of softens and you learn more about his family and backstory. But this is yeah, it's very kind of Dickensian air about it and the costumes are very strange. I mean they're all very pretty. And like and and it's they, a lovely what... scene, but it's just very odd. And where does Gang turn up as well? It's just like, Oh, I'm just in your mind. You know, <laughs> it's everywhere I'm just, and I'm there. Well she says there's a bit of me that back there, doesn't she? Yeah, that could just be like our arsehole or something. Let's hold off on the dream sequences okay. for a minute because we'll get to them later and they're, it's not very well written. <laughs> First off, we've got comedy data. Mr. Tricorder. Oh, yeah. Charlie, you, you would talk to Levar Burton about this earlier on. You're quite a big fan of this stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, I watching it back, it was it kind of really struck me how because Geordie and Levi Burton is is kind of never really kind of maybe gets the credit he should do just for kind of being such yeah, a consistently good actor. Nerd can't get a girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in this scene, being the straight man to um, not only just kind of there's the, the, a bit of kind of emotional work when he first helps him with the emotion chip first of all. And then when Data's doing the whole laughing thing and he's being the straight man there. Um, See, if I, could, if I couldn't get Patrick Stewart to read bedtime stories to me, I think I'd be quite happy with Levar Burton because he's got quite a soothing voice. Yeah, because he did that, didn't he? He did a show in America, Reading Rainbow. Yeah, but you know, he yeah. never came to read to me at bedtime. No. <laughs> Has he ever done like Jack and Ori or something like that? Or even the um, adult version of it? Oh, yeah. There's an adult version of Jack and Ori. What just reading penthouse letters? On <laughs> TV. I think I, I can't remember the name of George's it. George's marvellous medicine is come. <laughs> well, no, there's, there's one with like, like well, not an like adult, but like swear words in it and things like that. Jack Orphanor. <laughs> I, I can't think what it's called. <laughs> I think we're on something here. Jack of Anori. I'll find out what it's called. No, I, th- I think it was, was it called Crack or something? Crack that was it. Thank you. Thank you. On, I think, I'm pretty sure it was on Dave. Yes, that was it. And it was, you know, famous people reading, in quotes, adult, you know, fairy tales, things like that, with, with adult <laughs> twists. Not necessarily sexy, but really. The Daily Mail. Dangerous. Yeah, Daily Mail, pretty much. <laughs> The, the headlines of the Daily Mail. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, the, the, I found the tweet he actually said, because I just tweeted yeah, about I, him. I couldn't find it. I, was, I thought, have you deleted it, Charlie? I just couldn't saying, find just it. Saying, like, it? He, uh, he did a, a good straight man to uh, to Data, and he just quoted it saying, I love being Dean to his Jerry. Obviously, uh, Dean Martin and uh, Jerry Lewis. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, I think it works, especially... In that scene where where Data just kind of goes mental and it kind of goes from a comedy scene to kind of a, a, a dramatic yeah, a scene, horrific, yeah, yeah, and this yeah the scene I, I don't know what Brent Spiner's doing with his eyes, where they're kind of almost kind of bulging out, but it's it's, it's pretty pretty great acting there. Is and, there a bit, um, you know, there's, there's a scene obviously where he sort of laughs uncontrollably. Is there a bit of CGI manipulation going on there? Because it looks very strange. I don't think so. I yeah, that's the so. best bit of talking about. Yeah, it's just... No, he, it, he's, it, get, he's getting the muscles in his forehead stretched. and everything to move quite well. I yeah. don't think so, but I can see why you might think so. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, I, I just think this stuff's really good. The thing is, it's annoying, but it's kind of meant to be. 
And frankly, oh, yeah. if, you, if you've never used or understood humor before, I don't imagine you'd be knocking it out of the park straight away anyway. No. So, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty good with all this stuff. And what I also like is there are periods where he does regather himself. So he'll be laughing and doing the Mr. Tricord a bit. And then he'll say something in a completely calm data voice. Yeah. Like, Which is not like... not human because he isn't. And I like that. And he, and he has to make it so. Which is quite funny. Yeah. Yeah, and I like how he's like laughing at a joke that was said to him seven years ago. Because obviously, it's <laughs> yeah, like it's, I just got it. But like, yeah, but like most people, it's like you know, you know people, most people would have forgotten it. But obviously, cause he's uh, a machine. He, he remembers everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, that thing. Yeah. I also like it's from the the events of the first episode. Mm. Yeah. Because that was like the Farpoint mission. So the first yeah. film is recalling the first episode. So I kind of like that. And I did I did notice in the um, when when they were talking about the emotion chip. Is uh, in, in the back of his his quarters. You could see the uh, the hat and the musketeer sword from the uh, from the episode where they all dressed as musketeers. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are little callbacks like that. Um, cool. cool. But, yeah. So basically, the, the the it's been attacked by a Klingon ship. Mm. Uh, a Klingon ship we've seen before. <laughs> when it blow, when it's uh, damn it, when it's blown up later, it's a stock shot from Star Trek Six. Yeah, but they make it out to be Romulans first of all. Yeah, um, Romulans who come looking for. And they go down. Do we go straight to stellar cartography from here? No. Um, because um, so the clip. So he so he kidnaps Geordie. The um, and there's that really again really nice effect shots of the um, the bird of prey kind of skidding in mm. to uh, to come in and then they go off and then um, the one re- there's one shot I really like which is them actually showing how the it works on the enterprise with making it go in terms of pressing buttons it's actually really clear because so many times in Star Trek you see him just pushing buttons and you, you don't know what the hell they're doing mm. but when he says one engage and whoever it is that does it actually presses a few buttons and then presses this big button and it actually makes sense and yeah. it just felt like a nice kind of continuity thing mm. and then um, he kicks off with Lursa and Bator and you meet them again and that yeah, again if you saw Redemption and also, episode Deep Space Nine, they're on as well. You'll know that yeah, it doesn't matter preview. hugely if you don't know those, but they're they're not a, they're not good they're not good people. Um, so, um, good the, the film, yeah, the film shows you that anyway. Well, I was about to say they weren't good guys, but they're not guys at all. They're not people either. So no. yeah. My summary of them is quite flawed there in some yeah. respects. They, they, kind of, they, <laughs> kind of, they kind of explain, like, as you want, as obviously they want to reclaim the Klingon Empire, basically go back to how things were. And, like, we're obviously with... I mean, I imagine at this point Klingons are kind of relatively at peace with um, the Federation. Yeah, they are at this point. Obviously, Worf works yeah. on the ship. They've got, you know... Yeah, everything's fine at the moment. Yeah, uh, a year or so later, it gets a bit fraught again. But, no, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's worth mentioning as well that... Um, in Redemption, the TV episode, um, it was Picard that kind of helped out Worf and the Klingons and everyone to, to kind of get, stop their plot to take over the Klingons. So there's a bit of kind of a personal grudge going on there with Picard. Yeah, he stopped them basically ascending the throne sort yeah, of thing. So then there's the uh, what was a scene in there of him 
of of Sauron torturing Geordie with a uh, with a William Shatner album. <laughs> yeah, it's a trans- transformed man um, with a nanoprobe type thing. And then he comes out and he, they say, did you get anything from the human? And he said, no, his heart just wasn't in it, which makes no sense because that scene was cut out, but they left that line in. Right. So it's um, a cut based on nothing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, they do and send then, it back to his ship. In the interim, Data and Picard meet down at Stellar Cartography, which is the one completely new set in the uh, on that mm. ship. And they ask, uh, again, they're trying to tie the plots together. So you've got Data unable to work because of his emotions overwhelming him. You've got Picard trying to work in spite of his emotions and saying to Data that you have to learn to do that. It's vital. Um, And they ascertain that they keep blowing up stars and so on to change the course of the Nexus by changing the gravity of certain systems. And they manage to work out that the if he blows up a certain star, it will draw it to a certain planet, basically. Mm. But it will destroy the system, one planet of which has 230 uh, plot devices. 230 million <laughs> plot devices. Yeah, it's, it's a nice scene, actually, because first of all, you've got some good emotional content um, with Picard and Data. Um, and they always they've always worked well together um, as characters and as actors. But then this, 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 the the uh, like you said, it's a new set and it's a, it's a good set as well. Nice. And it's really interesting the way the way it's done in, on several levels. And the uh, yeah, it's it's, it's nice. It's, it's it's one of those things that, that that almost gets along just because of the set design and just yeah, because of how it works there. What did you think, Becca? Um, yeah, pretty much the same as you guys. Um, well, the only thing I do have a problem like, with the, the humour aspect of it. That's like the one storyline that I don't really like in this section of the film. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really have much else to add, unfortunately. I'm a bit kind of at this stage. Mm, I don't have a major problem with the film at this point. The, the problems all sort of come in the second half as we start working out exactly what the nexus is, what the plot is, ham-fistedly trying to sort of cram the difference threads together and so on but at this point yeah. within like the last hour or three quarters of an hour of the film they've got a lot tied together and i mean i, I enjoy watching this film I, I like the performances um i don't like whether i was the villain and the effects are, are superb for the time you've got a lot of model work versus cgi coming in but it's just the fact there's a very busy film there's a lot going in there is. and and they've got to try and pack a lot in because i was I, I kind of watched this in two halves obviously i watched it um once just on its own for the first watch again with the um, again with the commentary, um, and then again on Netflix, and I watched like the first half of it last night, and then the rest of it this morning. <laughs> um, and I was thinking, well, there's only two quarters of an hour to go. How the hell are they going to tie this together? Even though I know how they do it, but I just think, oh, Christ, you know, it's a really busy movie, and you just think, mm, it's not done to the full to the full effect. That's the thing. Really. It's it, it's it's almost got two climaxes because it's yeah, got so it the, ends twice, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the climax where. Um, Malcolm McDowell does it, and the Enterprise um, crashes, and then kind of from there it just kind of slows right down, um, and it just feels like an extra section of the film um, that's just got completely different pacing. But so they um, they figure out where the uh, the Klingons are, are, are going to go next, and they go and hail them, and they uh, exchange Picard 
for Jory, but Some not before off. doing. Yeah, sending Picard down to the planet. But first, I, I don't get that at all. I'll be your prisoner, but send me down to the planet first. Well, they could just immediately go, well, there you go, and take him. Yeah. And they used the wrong beaming colour as well, so it's not quite clear who's beamed who. The beam here looks a bit weird, I think. I don't like the um, beaming effect in this film. Uh, yeah, I like next week's better, but it's just um, it's just a bit of a mess from this point. They're trying to get Geordie, uh, they, they sort of basically get into his visor so that they can see what he sees. Because hopefully he'll go to engineering and they'll see what frequency the shields are on. And they eventually get there. And that's it. They, they, that's, that's how we head towards the third act of the film. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 that bit's quite a decent enough kind of idea. I am wondering where, if you see the, the duck on the Enterprise, when you see that when they have, when they take the screenshot of the, because uh, I, I don't, you know, in the, in the, like the technical manuals and stuff and what they, what they did on the show, you could never see it because it was, it was never shown in high definition initially. Yeah. Um, because everyone was still watching CRTs at that point. But all the injects they did on, the uh, the different bits of the uh, the consoles and the, the writing they put in there and in the enterprise there's several little things in the uh, the technical schematic like there's there's an old um, a Spitfire in the in there in the docking bay and there's a duck in there somewhere um, so I'll have to go back and see that again and see if that actually shows up this time or if they changed it I mean at they all. did have to they did have to redo some of that stuff obviously because it was on a yeah. high resolution and also yeah. apparently when they were on set all the actors were like too close together and the director had to say well this is widescreen you can like spread out a bit yeah um they, they got they just about made enough changes to get it through this film Picard's ready room looks lovely um you know things like that they they did a pretty good job yeah but yeah from now on I'm going to start having real real problems with this film uh, Lursa and Bator in and of themselves are kind of a bit crammed in it is just a plot device to damage the Enterprise I think yeah so it's a, it's a bit like you you would have, you should either have Lursa and Bator as the villains or Sauron as the villain kind of brought together it's just a bit too much I, I don't mind them there being both there I just what's got me thinking even just now was what was the point in damaging the Enterprise and making it crash? What effect does that have to do with what happens now? Like, sort of, they literally, they basically destroy the Enterprise, but what does that actually, what does that actually mean going going forward in the series now? You know, well, what, by, what, like, by what, all regards, it was decided just because they wanted a new ship in the series. Right, okay. So, it, it, I, I, I guess that's fine. It's just that, I mean, what, what what occurs to me now, I think probably Dave might agree, I just, you know, in terms of narrative, it's like, it just feels a little bit pointless. It feels like... Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it, you've got to think as well, it's this thing where people, where you've got a TV series, especially a TV series that was never especially high on action, is being brought to the big screen. Yeah, it was and, a hotel in space. It wasn't a, a warship, you know? Exactly, yeah. Or a laboratory. Yeah. Um, and uh, so... Then you've got um, them probably thinking, well, what can we put in? What kind of action sequences can we put in? Um, they've got the obligatory spaceship battle, um, but what else can we do? And especially since, yeah, by that time, they were, everyone was saying that they didn't, they hated the ship and they wanted a new one. Um, 
because by numbers reason, they had to uh they didn't have enough money to make a new one by that point um also what what's what's the th- what's the thing with like um like the the bad guys just like standing there as soon as like the enterprise just fires one shot and they're, they're kicking the shit out of it usually and then like the enterprise actually managed to get on target fire one shot they go oh no if they, you don't know, actually think evasive maneuvers or anything like that they don't, don't like even try attempt to just, you just look at it and go oh we're fucked do you remind <laughs> you of the st- do you remind you of austin powers with the steamroller doesn't it yeah <laughs> where he screams and it cuts to a, yeah. shot, a wide shot and he's probably got about a week yeah. Especially when, because he says, prepare a spread of photon torpedoes. Yeah, that wasn't a spread, really, was it? No, and he just fires one. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it does remind me very much of uh, Undiscovered Country. But even though you could say, well, it's it, there's no way of avoiding it because it was heading directly to, towards the, the ship anyway, regardless of where you move. So there's that. But it just feels like kind of like, what, you're not even going to try and outmove it or kind of like get away from it or anything? You know. Well, the, it was the shock you could tell by the, by the uh, the crash zooms into the characters' faces, which is used a lot in this film. Yeah, <laughs> it's like no crash zoom. <laughs> um, another good cameo is the uh, the the main the the the, the um, second commander, whatever of the Klingon ship, is the uh, the guy who is the villain in Cobra. And also was one of the punks at the beginning of Terminator. Oh, Brian uh, Thompson. Brian Thompson, yeah. Oh, oh, Brian Fantana. I, I did not know that. He was I've never seen Cobra. As well. Oh, but I recognised him from he's, um, Terminator. He, he's an ex file He's been in lo- a load of stuff. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He's got a really yeah. such a weird face. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, yes, I remembered. Yeah. Now, for all I'm going to criticise in the rest of this film, and it will be a lot. The biggest thing they get that that always pisses me off is that cliched thing that like any film with half a brain should avoid. They they evacuate to um, the saucer section to separate, and uh, because they basically the the uh, the secondary hole is going to explode, and we get a shot of a kid dropping their toy. Yeah, and reaching out for it. Yeah, and I so, want to, I want to fly to wherever he lives and throttle the fucking director. Every time. <laughs> it's, like, it's like real Roland Emmerich stuff. Isn't don't it? be a wanker. Yeah. Um, it's like are we supposed to go? Oh my god! One th- one thing I have a real problem with, and again, this is how even though we're in the twenty fourth century, how shit the technology is, um, is that the whole kind of conceit of having to beam down is because they can't shoot two guns at the same time so where where it says you don't know where they don't know what source the uh the the, the uh, rocket to the star is going to come from so they don't know if they can shoot it out in time it's like do they not have two guns that they can train one on this one on the klingon ship and uh which would have to would have to declare to <clears> fire uh, or um or one on the planet I've no idea. The only thing I think of with that star is eight to fifteen seconds to hit it. It's going to take eleven seconds to the sun. Our sun is ninety-three million miles away from us. Yeah, <laughs> and it and it fires off at quite a languid pace. 
It's fucking um, dumb, this film. The science is not so great. And we get lots of, like, Picard walking around and yeah. looking at rocks um, and stuff. Trying to, trying to get through the little the little rock archway. Um, and Data, Data swears. He does. It's the first, use of, first time he swears in the whole series. I think they would give that like, the one swear of the film to Data, though, wouldn't it? With his, like, emotional shit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh... So, it's quite a funny moment, though. Like, oh, uh, I, 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 do really, I do really like the sequence where it crashes. It's really well done. Um, and that, again, it reminds me of Superman the movie, though, because the because the I don't it's the one bit of the film, and I, I'm not really ragging on it too hard because they didn't have a lot of money, but I don't think that model work looks particularly good, and the windows do look painted on and stuff. Oh yeah, I, I'm not that fond of the sequence at all, actually. No. Although. What it does tell you is it's str- they're struggling to slow it down. Yeah, because it does go on for quite a while. Um, again, I'm I'm, not, I'm guessing they they used the original model um, and just kind of repainted it to make it look shit. more uh, more shit. Yeah, less. This looks less. Let's uh, repaint it. Less blue and uh, yeah, because it um, I guess just more detail really, because mm-hmm. um, that's just the kind of again the iconic shot which they used in the trailer of uh, of the of the kind of it burning up on entry. Mm. Um, something Roger Moore does several several times. Um, yeah. Apart from judo chop it. <laughs> which, happens, yeah, he, which happens in here as well. It burns while he, when he pees, so he's bound to burn up on injury. Oh. Judo chop. He doesn't judo chop his lovers. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but generally judo chop. <laughs> he uses it a lot. Do you think he's thinking about that to distract himself? <laughs> Lasts a bit longer. <laughs> judo chop. Eyebrow raise. <laughs> Why is he saying judo chop while he's... Never mind. I don't know. <laughs> Moving on, let's discuss track, shall we? Yes. Um, no. so, he's happily married, Becky. So, uh, on that basis. <laughs> he fires his missile. Yeah. yeah, so uh, Picard tries to stop him, fails. Um, so, so when uh, he fires his missile on the... Um, uh, what's it called? The, the, um, the Nexus opens up. Does does the uh, the crew of the, uh, the Enterprise... Get killed, or do they get swallowed up in the Nexus as well? Who fucking knows? There's a bit of a mess well, in this section. Well, they, I think. they they die because you see the shockwave. Oh yeah, they're killed by a shockwave. Yeah, they yeah. are. Okay, because I, I, I wasn't sure whether the Nexus and also the whole... they weren't pointing their arms up in the air like Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> and that, well, that now, extra, now was because that extra so... twelve inches sorts it that out. That's for the trailer, I think. <laughs> yeah, but now was Picard, so he's still yeah. So. Yeah, this is why. Yeah, but he already had an extra twelve inches. <laughs> um. So, yeah. So then we then the car opens up in his uh, idea of heaven, I guess. Which is like Christmas Day. Which, <laughs> Christmas Day. Christmas so, Day comes in style. So basically, yeah, surrounded by kids, and uh, cup of Earl Grey on its way. Which is so like Earl Grey when it arrives. Yeah, I mean. This is thrilling stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and he wants to do the director's wife, or the director wants his wife to do Patrick Stewart. I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure which way round this is. One of the kids is his as well. 
Um, not Patrick Stewart, so I'm not casting aspersions. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is not good. At no point, although we're sold that because he's a man of history, he might want something with a bit of, of a classic feel to it. Where are we sold that this is just impossible to leave? Because he's like, yeah, all right. He's, he's pretty cool with leaving this quite quickly. Yeah. Well, Guyton like turns up and convinces him, doesn't he? Yeah, Guyton turns up and says, oh, well, this isn't really, though. Of... Guyton turns up, you know, covered, you know, surrounded by a fire hazard. Um, <laughs> if that's what a quarters is like, I mean, Jesus Christ. It's At very the moment that The moment that ship wobbles, there's a major fire up there. Um, we got a new problem. Fire alert, Guyton. And she explains what this plot device is. And I don't like any of this from now on. This is just so weak. It, she's there, but she's not there. She's only kind of there to tell us the plot and tell him the plot. And he then goes off to find Kirk because he wants basically another pair of hands. I mean, if that was me, I'd just yeah. go and find someone who was built like a fucking brick shithouse. <laughs> I wouldn't go and say I wouldn't go and get like a legendary captain because that's not what's needed. And all yeah, of this but stuff. Fan service though, like yeah, all right, fair enough. He goes to get Kirk. Now, why is that? Why is the woman at the top of the hill not either Edith Keeler or David's mother, Carol Marcus? Yeah, that's what I want to know. Who the fuck's Antonia? <laughs> And I'm nine glad... years ago, he was in Starfleet. What the fuck's that about? I'm glad I wasn't anyone who's asking that. I was like, well, who the hell is she? And why I thought, well, why not Carol? Yeah. It, you know, yeah. I, I always thought Carol Marcus, but that's because I'm a big Wrath of Calm fan. <laughs> um, I've always thought that, but I, I did hear somebody somewhere say, well, couldn't that have been Edith Keeler? And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that that too. Any of yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Forgive me, for, forgive me for my lack of technology. Who's Edith Keeler? City on the Edge of Forever, uh, Joan Collins' character. Yeah, Joan Collins. Mm. Oh, okay. That's a really good episode. If you haven't seen it yet, yes, Chris, you've got to watch it. It's really good. Oh, Basically, why wasn't it someone we've heard of is yeah. all I'm trying to say. Yeah. That, oh, oh, great. He could finally get another chance to shack up with who? Why, uh, you know. Again, yeah, Antonio. A woman we've never heard of. Nothing sells us. This is difficult to leave. Not even that green woman. <laughs> no, it's weird. I, I think, yeah, Gunnan had the line kind of saying, oh, you're, you know. When she spent time there, it was the most content she'd ever been. And it was but like she doesn't really... joy. Yeah, apparently yeah, it was, that's it. Apparently, it was supposed to be Carl Marcus, but Paramount told him to change it for some reason. Oh, really? Fun fact, yeah. folks. Yeah, um, and you've got Kirk again being a a horse rider. That's that's Shatner. Shatner. Yeah. Is that um, on his? Yeah, those horses belong to him, don't they? They're actually his horses. And that's like his his farm his farm or something. Like. I don't know, but whatever I it's horses so. because it's like I want to ride horses here. Yeah, and chop wood. Hey, yeah, I mean, chop <laughs> chop. Heavy physical like, work I read they filmed would it on not be in my my dream <laughs> yeah. scenario. Believe me. And uh, this, so, this is just a bit weird. It's just a bit weird when you're cooking like you're cooking eggs and you're oh, okay. Well, while that's cooking, I just leave the stove open and I'll go and chop some wood. Right. <laughs> Again, right? Who else was there to do it? Hmm. Why not? Why have they not written this around the two enterprises meeting somehow? Why have we got these the two legendary captains and him going, Can you get me some dill? And it's right by the oregano. <laughs> <laughs> Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> There's something missing. Oh, the toast. 
<laughs> and we get to see him see his dog, which Shatner's uh, changing the name of in the script because he had yeah. a dog called Butler. And well, it's it, just, what? At least we get Spot. <laughs> oh fucking hell! This isn't very. <laughs> and it, and, it, and this, he got guys. This is like a preview to the um, Into Darkness. <laughs> yes. Oh no. It's oh, no, Into Darkness is going to be way worse than this. It's going to be, yeah, definitely. It's like a very kind of weak, watered-down yeah. version. Of Basically, <laughs> I'm going to record it with one of those sort of home blood pressure pumps on. If you hear me suddenly calm down at points during the review, I've got a reading that's not good. <laughs> um, I wonder what Paramount... I mean, I imagine Paramount must have thought that they couldn't sell the film without... Without some of regular... That's amazing. Um, and, yeah. and obviously that was the whole kind of hook was it being the two captains yeah. together. But like you said, and yeah, they, they you should have Could seen we have them. them on Ready Steady Cook? <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> who's the great, who's the great Federation bake-off? They've confused like the character of like Picard with like Fraser Crane yeah. or something because Picard, for all his flaws, isn't particularly pompous. And yet, you you have a duty. You're a Starfleet captain. He wouldn't say that. Not in a million years. It's just a poor scene. What what, what would he say? I have no idea, Chris. (laughs) I I haven't imagined a scenario where they'd be fucking cooking together. Before they take each other roughly in the barn or whatever it is, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's there's um, literature out there that uh, can, continues in that in that vein. Yeah. Um, I. Yeah, because and there's a whole bit where he says, "I was like you once, always thinking about career, etc., etc." And yeah, then like, five minutes later, he's not thirty-five. <laughs> well, he's not a younger captain, so that just doesn't fit. And then, and then five minutes later, he said, he's saying, "Don't let them promote you. Don't let them take you off the bridge of that ship." And um, and then they decide they can go. They I, again, it's very very vague. Wondering how they get to that exact point in the Nexus. Do they just? Is it like Bill and Ted? Is there a phone booth somewhere where they can just clock in the exact time they need to go back to? Yeah, because it has a physical dimension no, to it. Yeah, so, I, I think they just yeah. think really really hard about where they want to be. It's like. <laughs> Because that's, like, that's how it feels like. That's how it feels like. It's like, oh, we'll just walk down here. Oh, we're in a different place now. Oh, you know. But then, but then, is that whole reality having in a nexus? It's bollocks, isn't it? It just doesn't well, work. That's the thing. From now on in, is is the entire Star Trek franchise happening in the nexus? Because everything's still in there. So how do they discern that from reality? They, they do just all of a sudden just like come out of it quite easy. It's yeah, like, it's like, it's... Probably because, you know, their fantasies are so fucking rubbish. <laughs> I mean, if they had been balls deep in hooker and blow, they might have been like... I mean, un- un- unless it's like an element of the fact that, like, they snap out the dream. I mean, Picard snaps out the dream quite easily. Uh, Shatner realises it when he, re- he realises he has no uh, actual fear when he, when he, he, he jumps over the... Um... Whatever it is on the horse, I didn't ever been. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's like you know that they just game each time. It's game this time. Because it wasn't real. Distant, distant, real. Um, because it wasn't real. 
Find me every time. So there's no kind of it's, it's it, even, <laughs> e- even being a kind of a metaphor for, for heaven and what have you. There's no kind of there's no kind of thought behind that in terms of consistency and structure. And you just think, well, how do they get out of there from and there? And you've got Whoopi Goldberg going, I've tried very, very hard to forget. And I'm thinking, it's Picard for the next few years thinking, God, I didn't even get that cup of Earl Grey. I mean, <laughs> what is it he would have missed? And Picard, you know, Kirk going, oh, I didn't finish the eggs. And it's just none of it's that impressive. Picard, Picard just thinking, well, I never did get to go to 19th century Agincourt. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but yeah, but in for Picard, it's like having a family and yeah. and oh yeah, with, yeah, yeah, you know. So that, it's of... not the fact that he's got his own. And for Kirk, I imagine it's finally retiring. And I, I mean, I'm not I'm saying that's like Kirk, but you know, that's Kirk in the Nexus would be back on the Enterprise. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the thing. Definitely. He'd be my God. I'm 35. <laughs> <laughs> so then. Oh, yeah. It's so they then they then go embarrassing. So when you got to try and stop this terrible event happening, that's going to kill all these plot devices. What you want to do is go back to the exact point that you were really short of time. Yeah, it's just like uh, uh, oh for fuck's sake, why not go back to like ten? When they had him on the Enterprise. Yeah, and just fucking twat him. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's all you got to do. No. Just Put like uh, Riker, arrest that man. Why? Just do what I say, God damn it. No, you are done. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> Wesley, like, where's Wesley? Like? <laughs> Why not Shut go up, back Wesley. to the Enterprise B and not not a um, not rescue the ship and not kill Kirk. Yeah, why, why doesn't he? Yeah, why doesn't like? Oh, fucking! All Kirk has to do is go. Well, if if that's the case, I might as well just go back to the B, beam yeah. him into space, or like fucking whatever, and I'll send Scott, Fat Boy Scotty down to fucking because <laughs> we've seen we saw him run so effectively in the last film. <laughs> no, I know he can't. I'm just imagining the visual of it. That's all. It's just, it, it's just, you know, it's not the size he is. It's the putting him in an action scenario. Yeah, he's not the action man, is he really? No, and I just think like this is the last place you go. And the thing is, this was all reshoots um, because originally Kirk was shot in the back. Yeah, but which means that in the final version, Patrick Stewart is wearing a wig. That little horseshoe-shaped bit of hair he's got round the back of his head is a wig in that whole sequence, because he shaved it all off for a different part. It's Battle of the Wigs between him and Shatner. <laughs> well, Shatner wins because he managed to cover his own head. He's, he's <laughs> I mean, that's a half-assed wig, isn't it? I don't want to be bald. Then, I think uh, Malcolm McDowell wins with his crazy spiky hair. And then falls off a bridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, we were asked earlier um, by Tony Black, uh, sort of friend of the show, podcaster himself. He said... How would you have had Kirk die? Can we address that question now? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'd, I'll be honest. I'll I actually prefer the out of the two of the the versions that exist. Um, I prefer the 
Kirk falling off the bridge, funnily enough. Um, I'd rather see Kirk <laughs> die doing a heroic act and the one in uh, the the one that they shot originally, it's just kind of like he just he just shot in the back and it's just like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem fitting for Kirk. I'd rather see Kirk go out doing something like sacrificing himself for the greater good kind of thing. You know, that, that's how I'd want to see Kirk go. He, he needed to die on the Enterprise, on the bridge. I think this one, this scene where I see it, where it's like his last words are like, "Oh my!" And I just think it's really poignant, and it's. I think we. Because he died thinking of George. <laughs> okay, yeah, no wonder Takei hates him. Yeah, exactly. I can hear his "Oh my." <laughs> no, but I, th- I think this this scene um, is quite oh, yeah, quite it's, poignant. It's it's quite poignant, um, but just yeah, um, I mean, like Dave said, they should have had the Enterprises together. Um, they should have had Kirk die on the bridge of the Enterprise, either going down in flames with the Enterprise itself, like in Star Trek Three, that sort of thing. Um, I've got almost sort of three answers to this because my first and immediate answer is don't. Yeah, There's true, no reason Kirk needs to die in this film whatsoever. He lives um, my second answer matches Charlie's exactly. If you're gonna kill him, do it do it on the bridge of his ship. But what I actually would rather have seen is can the Soren character and have Kirk be the one that struggles to accept that time is finite. Mm. And it should be his arc through the film. I'm not saying he should be blowing planets up. It would take quite an extensive rewrite, to be quite honest with you. But if you want this Nexus thing and the whole point of not accepting, the passing of the torch should be... Kirk understanding by the end of the film that his time has actually passed and that's okay. So you would you have Kirk actually as the villain? I would. I, it wouldn't be the same structure of film at all. No. I'm saying within this, if you insist upon this plot device mm. as the way to hand over the the baton, it would be much more about um, Kirk being the one that cannot accept. That his time has passed. It's hinted out at the start of the film. He wants to sit in the chair again. And it's understanding that, that time does pass. You know, time is a companion that goes with us on our journey, as Picard says in quite a contrived bit of dialogue at the end. Um, I don't like this. They have brought Kirk back to be another pair of hands. At no point is this about his captaincy skills, his expertise or anything. And for the sake of time. And for the I mean, it's... dying. And the other, and the worst thing about it is, I go back to my original point. He's died protecting a planet and a people we've never heard of and don't see. Yeah, it should have been like Earth or something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of it might have been a nice kind of ending to have him in the Nexus and have him back in the Nexus, back on the bridge of the hanging Enterprise. out the back of Edith Keeler. Exactly. At the same um, time as. Because, again, the, the, the inconsistencies with the whole Nexus thing, when the, he, when he was talking about finding another way for Soren to get into it. Yeah. And, um, That's all really saying, drive. Well, don't you fly a ship into it? Oh, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, oh, all right, before. brilliant. Well, that's handy, isn't it? What, it's, it got did, choo- it's got to choose you, has it? It did before. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how he got into it originally. You it's, can't it's, fly in it, but if you sit there right beside it as it comes across... What's the fucking difference? Yeah, how did how did they get into it originally? It's not because they 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 were ships in the Nexus. Yes. So it makes no sense. 
It's phasing in and out of the space-time continuum. What the hell? Um, oh no! I read I, one thing. I read, and again, the, the score is beautiful. Here is when Picard buries Kirk, and um, <laughs> that was our second question. Yeah. I get Facebook open again. Hang on a minute. Gotta find the exact question. I think it was Richard Jenkinson. I'll, I'll find out right now. Yeah, so the first question was Tony Black. The second question we had was from... Uh, where is it? Yeah, why did, Richard Jenkinson asked, why did Picard carry Kirk's body to the top of a rock and then carry rocks up to it to bury it? Um, I, think for, I think for a cinematic sweeping sky shot. Yes. That's all. And to give it the feeling of some ritual as well. Mm. Um it's bollocks. I've always thought it was bollocks. <laughs> I've never been happy with that. But it's a uh, lovely sequence. The, the, the is, sequence it itself. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Is, uh, it's wonderful, and the way it kind of yeah, the way it's kind of sweeps around. You got the heli, the helicopter shot fading into the other shot, and uh, and the fanfare. I think we've answered the other the other Facebook question we got. Steve Clark asks. The popularity of data gave Brent Spiner a lot more clout behind the scenes. Is this the reason why we had to suffer, Mister Tricorder? Uh, in a oh, word, Jesus. I'd say yes. I think I think that whole subplot exists because Brent Spiner had the clout to say, "I'll only do this if you give me something worthwhile to do." What you think of the end result will obviously vary. And then we've got—I think we've got a couple more as well, actually. Uh, There's them on Twitter, didn't we? As well, we did, Bobby. Bob Eagle asked, uh, has the climax of any other film relied so heavily on the fighting prowess of three extremely old men? Who's the oldest of them? And I thought, does the Expendables count? <laughs> Rocky, Rocky Five? To, to, uh, be, to be fair, to yeah, be fair Malcolm O'Dowd does have uh, a good sense of physio- physicality to him. You know, he does give it a good go. It's uh, Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart, he's, he's not an action guy. And, I've got a problem. And, and, and Shatner is just too old. Long. And, because and sh- they, they, they try and make him John McClane as we yeah. go through the rest of the films. And it's well, like yeah, think- the Picard in the TV series was a thoughtful diplomat. Next week as well. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> the next two weeks, particularly. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. Does the Expendables count? I was, then I thought Grudge Match with that, that Sylvester Stallone boxing film with Robert De Niro. But then I thought that's only two of them. Have so, they done this in um, Celebrity Deathmatch yet? Well, obviously, that was a few several years ago now. But it'll be like, like the ultimate yeah. Celebrity Deathmatch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they did a, you, you could do uh, Picard Kirk, I suppose. But I think they probably did all the captains at some point and rendered in plasticine. But yeah, I mean, frankly, if all the fat captains had a fist fight, Avery Brooks would win easily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Picard, and Van I mean, Pixie just ask why. I mean, for his age, um, P- Patrick Stewart has always been at least a middle-aged man ever since yeah. he started playing this role and he's always been sinewy and in very good shape but yeah he's, he, the whole demeanour of the man doesn't really lend itself to action um, but all of these films insist on end, ending on action set pieces and I switch off with most of them because they're normally crap and contrived um, anyway Van Plexico Van Allen Plexico asks why <laughs> good question <laughs> I don't know. I don't he know. Needs, he needs some money. That's that's a really good question. I don't why, know. Why, why ask any money? 
I was, I was wondering if he just means the Annie Lennox song. Um, um, $118 million? Yeah, that's it. There you go, $118 million. Is well, the I, my mum and dad was asking that at the beginning. He's like, why, why? I've got to go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. It's, actually 100, it's 118 minutes long, so it made $1 million dollars for each minute. minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, having you... said that, if they'd stopped after twelve minutes, I don't think it would have made twelve million. <laughs> I don't think it works like that. <laughs> or if they trimmed it a bit, it would have lost a couple of million. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Star Trek is always going to be like this, and it always has been. I mean, look at the way now they're just trying to franchise the hell out of it, um, and they're kind of doing again sequel after sequel after sequel. Um, I, I really struggle with the last half an hour of most films of this type because they just I just find it so predictable you know it's just there are ways to structure films where sometimes the big action sequence isn't the last and I like it when they manage to do that yeah I just get so fucking bored with this well I've said it before we'll see it when we get to Marvel even something like Guardians of the Galaxy which I really really enjoyed the last 20 minutes where they're having some fucking battle I'm like who cares um, and it's the same here. And, it, you know, next week we've got it. We got it the week after with fucking uh, Patrick Stewart wearing a wife beater and having a punch up with someone. <laughs> and it's like, well, what the fuck's that about? But there you go. At least the following week, it's uh, Frakes in not particularly good shape having a fight with Ron <laughs> Perlman. <laughs> yeah, just, with Ron uh, Perlman. Oh, yeah, Ron Perlman. Oh, my God. It's just that it's not an action franchise, but it keeps trying to insist it is. Yeah, um, trying to keep up with other sort I, of I think action movies at the time, isn't it? I, I think. think it's just got like it's got to try and have some action to appeal to other audiences who aren't Star Trek. Yeah, you know. Uh, I've always just found it so rote that that's the way they always structure a film. That mm. it's like a little bit of action, some plot, and then it builds to like something in the middle, and it always builds towards the, the last fifteen minutes of so many films. I fucking check out because I don't give a shit. It's so. <laughs> boring this fu- i mean into darkness is a film that i never cease to enjoy kicking the shit out of but you know the whole fucking spot cam thing at the end of that quite apart from the fact it was retarded it was just i don't care it's not an action franchise stop mm. trying to make it one yeah and, and the scene in, in 2009 with that drill yeah and they're, they're doing the, the, the they do it in into darkness as well when they fly out of the enterprise yeah. in their space suits and it's just like really this isn't bloody. I know, I and know, also the time feels some tension in. Oh, I'm off course, and it's like, well, you'll figure it out, won't you? I'm not that worried. I don't think fucking Kirk's going to splat into the side of the. <laughs> yeah, that would be a plot twist, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, fucking, you get him back on the ship, and he's two foot tall and seven feet wide. i just no it it just uh, it's not that i never enjoy action i frequently do but i think when a film just stops telling me a story and just launches into that i'm not interested it's like and when and when franchises that don't really lend themselves to it launch into it i mean we have he says three old men well I, i take your point i mean um, Patrick Stewart would have been about 54 around this time. Uh, William Shatner would have been about 63. Malcolm McDowell, I'm not sure. But two of the three of them are in, are in visibly good shape. And actually, William Shatner's always been very fit. Hence, he's aging very well now. He might be chunky, but the guy is still very physically mm. fit. Um, but the fact is, 
you are kind of right. Why are we watching these three doing action that doesn't lend itself to what their skills are? They are three very um, unique talkers. Would you would you say there's ever been um, any really particularly successful action sequences in Star Trek that don't involve spaceships? Uh, I'm glad when you add that you added that last bit to invalidate me saying Wrath of Khan. Oh, of course, and yeah. Undiscovered Country. Yeah. Um, does Uhura's fan dance count? <laughs> So now he said on the country, I used to think of uh, Scotty just running in and shooting a sniper. <laughs> Drop him out, beam him in to the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> like, that's just cruel. They've just thought, well, if he burns off 15 calories extra, great. Just totally fucking you, but ba- <laughs> Kirk's trampoline fucking bounce. <laughs> Comes flying in like a fucking Polaris missile. <laughs> <laughs> um, any good actions? I, I, I even just sort of like uh, watched them and it said like you're like sort of stand to take a, uh, a like a, a photo even though there's no one taking a picture <laughs> at the end of that film <laughs> it's like the same yeah. they all like stand sort of pose or something and like well who's, who's taking who's, a cap- who's capturing that <laughs> you're just standing heroically you're just fucking grandstanding now um, I hate the fucking film, but actually the sequence where, and I hate the contrived reason the sequence comes out, but the Godfather 3 knockoff, where Khan shoots at them in that room in Into Darkness, and Pike dies. I can't that's, remember that. Oh, God, yeah. But it involves well, that's a vehicle. Still, that's still largely... <laughs> you're getting well, tricked That's a Godfather 3 knockoff. No, that was a push bike. You can still get around. <laughs> He used his legs in that one. It's still motion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But even then, the scene is mostly memorable for a really good piece of acting by Bruce... Whatever he's called. Greenwood. Greenwood, Greenwood, He wasn't in it. Not Bruce Dern, no. I think we'd know if he was in it. Yes. But again, like you said, it's... He had a good game, good game. Nice to see you, to see you. Nice. It's a square peg into a round hole trying to make Star Trek an action film yeah. to satisfy yeah. audience, cinema audiences. Yeah. I, I, think so. I think it can be done if it's done right, you know. Uh, well, it, it's, it's at least less jarring in the reboots because they spend most of the film running around and screaming at each other. Well, yeah, exactly. so, so when it transitions to action, it's not as fucking jarring. Mm. But when like Picard starts having a fist fight, it's like, oh, behave your fucking self. <laughs> yeah, with, with Tom Hardy. And the other thing is, right, I'm you've got Worf on the ship, whose one defining characteristic is he's hard as fuck. <laughs> so let's get the bald Englishman to have a fist fight. <laughs> I mean, what? Fuck it, no. <laughs> That's your view of this film. Fucking hell! Yeah, you got Troy. He got Troy flying the ship when the best pilot on the ship is Riker, who sat right fucking behind her. <laughs> and you and you've got the bald English gentleman having a fist fight while someone hard as fuck is up on the ship. Maybe this Enterprise didn't have a a manual steering column. No, clearly yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
Yeah, Detroit doesn't, the, Detroit hardly does anything apart from take over for little well, the, like, the, 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 two, the two times she's in charge of the ships in the film, crashes, she crashes. She crashes, yeah, it doesn't do very well, does she? Yeah, in Nemesis as well, she... Uh, Oh, that was a bit more deliberate. Admittedly on Picard's because she gets a text message from Picard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> female, female drivers, you know. What, can you say? what are you trying to say? What, what you are doing... Well, it's not a general point like... about female drivers. Yeah. It's know, about it's a joke. fact. No. Well, no, but like even, even if it weren't a joke, the point is, she's not a fucking pilot. <laughs> no, exactly. We get no, to fly the ship. The counsellor, obviously. I mean, that's like saying, well, who should we get to cancel them? Worf, obviously. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like, just, get people doing jobs they're actually good at. After Wesley, they didn't have another. They didn't have a regular navigator, did they? But there's only a thousand people on board. How are they going to find anyone else who can... <laughs> well, of course. Fuck it now. Anyway, <laughs> this film falls on its ass around now. And I don't like Shatner's death scene. He is literally another pair of hands. It's quite jarring the way that bridge separates and crashes. Mm. It looks it looks pretty catastrophic. Um but I love the delivery of did we make a difference? Uh, it, at, it least, was, at least it had oh. Picard and Shatner <clears throat> working together. Uh, they had a few like nice exchanges, you know, like oh, call me Jim and that kind of thing for the fans. I guess it's like it, buy the oregano and yeah, <laughs> yeah, where's the, where's the deal? And I fucked her up on the hill there. Uh, yeah, and look, it's my dog. Yeah, fucking timeless stuff. And so you're timeless. So I'm, surpri- like... I'm surprised. I'm yeah. surprised Casablanca gets a fucking look in on the top. <laughs> And, and where he does, does the, the Tim Curry Rocky Horror bit where he goes, it was fun. Fun. <laughs> yeah, long pause. Yeah. What was it? What was it? Dying was fun. Oh, oh my, was that's uh, really funny because I've read Star Trek movie memories. Oh my. Which is really funny. This is. um. Yeah, it's really uh, it's good. Awesome. It's really good, but it reminds me of that Viz character. Uh, I forget what he's called now, the actor. He's always going on about his motivation, but it, it just turns out when when it gets to the end of the fucking strip, he's just a waiter or something in the scene. <laughs> he does this whole bit about, I mean, obviously it is a big character, but like <laughs> he's going on about, and I was thinking about this and I was thinking about that and I was imagining I was seeing the afterlife and I was imagining my own mortality and I'm thinking, get over your fucking self, honestly. Obviously his afterlife involved George Takei. I don't know. I didn't like this very much at all. Uh, I didn't like the second half of this film very much at all. But they saved the Enterprise. And Spot. Well, they didn't save the Enterprise. Well, they did. Well, they well, they saved the people on it. The, yeah, they saved they saved the the half of it. It's a yeah. very very good effect when you see people on the uh, on the yeah. Top. The only thing is, when did they stop using transparent aluminum? Because you all the windows smash when the thing crashes. The windows yeah. smash. Well, that's bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> oh, what? What, yeah. what? What do you mean, like the windows aren't glass on the Enterprise? What you mean, the screen or the? No, I mean the windows. Oh, okay. They, if you yeah. if you're in like their quarters or stuff, like Picard's quarters, yeah. has like windows on it. Um, and you actually, when they crash, you see them break with like smashing noises like glass and they're not they're aluminium i guess it's just for effect isn't it it's just like oh well, it has to be glass isn't it just to 
It's, it's disappointing there wasn't a little uh, funeral scene for his fish. Brent Spiner really didn't want to do the scene where he found the cat. He hates yeah. cats. Did he? Yeah, hates cats. Um, so, so he's like, so I have to make him like push one up against his face. Go there, you are, Brent. <laughs> yeah, here you are. Hold, hold it, hold bit, it dead close and hug it really. It's tight. exactly what we always suspected about. Like, so those tears were real then. You know, like don't really like fucking cats at all, <laughs> like the character does. And then the cheesy reunion bit with Troy and oh yeah, it's not good. I mean, like, what I did think about was like with the whole like um, emotion chip. And him going like, well, I've now come used to it. I can now uh, suppress my uh, the, my emotions. And I'm thinking, have you literally just made data spark now? Lit- like, you know, there's, there's not really much comparison now. He's like, oh, right, well, he's you know, he's got emotions, but now he's like, you know. Keep, well, the arc had to be left. The arc had to be left because they've tried to cram too much in, yeah. and they've got to tie it up at the end of the film. So it's like, oh, just quickly give him some dialogue. It's supposed to be about emotions, but it's kind of about time. It's mm. kind of about legacy. The film's really kind I mean, of confused. It's not but, good. But the, the emotion chip does return next week. Okay. Yeah, but again, that's largely as an aside. It's quite oh, yeah, a big yeah. joke. It's actually quite a good little joke next week, actually. Um, that's done quite well. And in the third one, he leaves it at home. <laughs> when, he, when he goes somewhere... <laughs> And it's just yeah. like they can't. They've got to keep sort of almost resetting the character a bit uh, during the films. Literally reset him. Like uh, yeah, like, kind I, of. I like how he just like oh, I'll just leave him. Like he just like sort of pop in, take him out. When actually they make a point the fact that he has to be like completely shut down and and all this well, kind of thing. You find out next week he can switch it off, right? Yeah. So the following week he leaves it at home. Why? Yeah. <laughs> it's just. These films are not going to get much better, if at all, from from where we're going now. No, this is um, really about us. The, 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 the standard thinking is that First Contact is the best of the films. No. And I'm not sure I agree. Mm. So what, what I do might you... do. I don't it's, know. It, it's competent. And in terms of structure and things like that, then, yeah, it's okay. But in terms of it being a Star Trek film, and also... Some of the bits in it are truly terrible. Um, I'm going to be quite tough on it. It's the most cinematic that they did. This might be a better looking film. I think it's, it's the most action packed from the from what I can see. It's like, it's got uh, significant plus points. Maybe it will rank highest of the next gen films. I don't know yet till I think about it. Hmm. But this general thing of it, it tends to go sort of second to fourth in people's rankings. It either comes behind. It always comes behind Khan. But sometimes it will fall behind sort of Undiscovered Country and maybe the first of the reboots as well. It's always sort of in the top four somewhere, and I, I don't think it is. I don't think it really deserves that. No, I not think at it all. Was ju- I think it was just, it's time we do the Borg on the big screen. Yeah. But they'd already done the best stories they could do with the Borg. So they just ripped off a bunch of other films. So they kind of tried to sort of do it again, and they have to kind of ignore... Picard's history with it and then they have to personify it because they want a <laughs> calm like villain again and they're supposed to be this rock hard villain that no one can beat again even though we know they're not and yet as soon as Picard turns up he's like just fire there alright bang dead that's it and then they go back in time and it's like well why didn't you just start with that <laughs> it's, 
And they've and and it's got the worst kind of somehow dialogue, which is like when you can't work out how something works, you just get the characters to say that they don't know how it happened. <laughs> so so they go back in time, they blow that ship up as it's about to go to Earth, and then they go somehow they must have beamed over here, and it's like <laughs> somehow. Uh, all right, then, brilliant. We'll accept that, then. And uh, Deanna Troy's never heard of tequila. Uh, and then the following week, she discusses her breasts with Dr. Crutcher. Yeah. Which does lead to a funny line for Dana. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I am going to be fairly hard on... on uh, hard on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to be pretty tough on that film, um, on First Contact, I think. But I don't hate it. I don't think it's a terrible film. But it's it's almost like it's almost like a lot of people are with the reboots that it's the shiny shiny because it's cinematic. It's got a lovely new enterprise that I really like mm. new uniforms. It, it finally feels cinematic in a way that this one doesn't. And it's got the Borg, which has the recognition factor of like, Oh, this incredible villain that they've got. And, and I think people almost, and I think people forget that to actually look at the film itself and it's, really disjointed that there's there's two different strands going on that don't coalesce at all um and again picard is suddenly fucking mr action um and he's also completely irrational and i just think well that, that's not the character i've been watching for seven years and again it's 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 taking more leaves out of rather khan's book and uh right down to moby dick literally yeah. <laughs> literally yeah, yeah, literally, yes. We we have Mo- a Moby Dick sort of allegory within this. And a quote from Moby Dick as well. And a so, quote so, from Moby so Dick. So we are literally going, oh, Raphael. And a mention Raphael. of Moby Dick. Yeah. And and talking about the book, Moby <laughs> Dick. <laughs> um, it's a bit on the nose. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, and also, they, they've completely lost the slang to take a leak. Yeah, it's really it's quite an odd well, film. Well, it's it's kind of like replaying the voyage home, the, doing the same fish out of water story with yeah. the next gen crew. Very and different like, film, but it's the same basic again, appeal. Yeah, than doing comedy. And what what's weird about comedy? It, what yeah, the comedy is not good. Um, they're not good at comedy. The original crew are better at comedy than the the next generation crew. As much as I might like them. Um, but the thing is, the best of both worlds was as good as they ever did the Borg, mm. and this is so pale as uh, by comparison. Um, the thing it has going for it is it looks great, and I love the E, I love the new Enterprise. Um, but yeah, what do we think of this film though? To finish off, <laughs> well, uh, let me know what you think. What else? What it was like? Bloody old days. <laughs> Leave two word review. Fuck it out. <laughs> Yeah, that's what he thinks of this film. No, it's what I think of the last half an hour of this film, because yeah. all the way through I'm going, "Oh fucking hell, really?" <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. It's ext- all right. I'll go first then quickly. It's extremely contrived. I think that's the summary for it. But it, it's a bit like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, in that George Lucas gave a relatively talented writer so many edicts that it hamstrung him that there's no way you can write your way around. They're interdimensional beings, and you've got a son who's a greaser, and you've got Marion who's going to grin like a fucking idiot all the way through the film. 
and so on. Um, and we're going to shoot it. You know, there, there are too many edicts to get around. And I just think they were hamstrung. They were hamstrung by Kirk's got to be in it. And we've got to see him in his time. And he's got to magically transition to the present day without time travel, which is a really silly edict. Um, and then we've got to have a villain that's like Khan. And we've got to have this and we've got to have that. And we've got to blow up the ship. Was he like, like Khan, though? Was he actually like Khan? No. No, no not, not really. really. Well, there's no personal connection. They yeah. seem to forget that. They think power hungry. And I think, oh my dad, oh, he does crazy really well. That's, Let's have that, him. that's all you need to do. Uh, they've missed the point of the wrath, why the wrath of Khan is so great. The wrath, as, as much as I like Ricardo Montalban in it, and as, uh, the things that make that film great is not Kirk having quite a tough antagonist, I don't think. But so, yeah, it's really contrived, and, and I enjoy certain scenes, I enjoy certain characters. I don't dislike this film. It whips along quite nicely. And it, it's somehow a little bit more than the sum of its parts. But like many of the films we've covered in the past, from scene to scene, I'm struggling with a lot of it. And the second half of it just falls apart. Yeah, it's, it's quite an easy watch, I find. Um, I, I, I think for all its flaws, it is it is watchable. It, it looks good. It's got a good score. It's nice to have uh, Shatner... With Patrick Stewart, um, and I think it's just a nice you know, hand-on baton, even though it's not the ideal way you want to do it. But as far as it goes, it's it's not completely inoffensive. I I I, I, I had fun with it. So yeah, no, it's it, I enjoy it. I quite I like it. Um, it's definitely got a lot of flaws, um, but it's entertaining enough um, that I can kind of look past that and. Uh, not get too bothered about it much and uh yeah because it's it's kind of like feels even even with kind of like the mortality side of things which i which i do kind of like it uh it still feels kind of like light and fluffy and uh it doesn't have as much as an overarching effect on parts of the uh the franchise um as maybe next week's does in a negative way Largely enjoy this film. Um, the house floors. It does end up with three old guys fighting. Mm. Um, hands up, but that's what we come to expect to, of him. Um, and it's, it's a very busy film. There's a lot going up, going on generally. Um, and also, I'm not a big fan of. I mean, I've, I like Prince Minus. He's a great actor. He's a great comic actor. He's really brilliant comic timing. But I don't. I'm just not a big fan of the kind of. You know, Data becomes a real boy in this um, particular subplot of this film. It doesn't really work in anywhere. Here's a point. Maybe you like uh, you guys can clarify it up. But does um, androids have tear ducts? Well, he he has a penis. He's anatomically <laughs> correct. We're not, we're not talking <laughs> about a sex cry, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying that the because does that mean he ejaculates uh, as well? He can actually. <laughs> I, I don't because he had sex in. Um, oh my god! Fires one of the D forty into Tachi. With Tasha, yeah, 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 fully functional. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. So I don't know exactly what else. Well, lubricated means something completely fucking different when it's Doctor Soon put into him well, to. Uh, well, I think uh, that emotional chip was a bit wasted, seeing he never got excited at one point in the film. I, I have to say, <laughs> I see where Charlie was. Especially with that jumpsuits. But that might be the best question and answer ever. Does he have tear ducts? 
He's got a penis. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what we got spread spine as well. Excuse me. What? In his eyes. <laughs> there you go. Apparently, artificial tear ducts were included in Zoom type androids. There we are. How about that? Okay. Well, that answers that then. I, was just, I wasn't sure whether it was like a like artistic license to make him like, oh my god, you know, he's crying. He's now, he's now for the, you know. Well, the answer to that, Chris, is he has a penis. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I think of this film. <laughs> and that's what Becca thinks of this film. Brent Spiner has a penis. <laughs> yes, he is anatomically correct. <laughs> no, from, from a technical standpoint, though, is you know, lighting-wise, it looks good. Model shots, fantastic. Um, directorially, no problems with it. It's just a, a well, not I'll say glorified TV movie, but I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, I'd say three out of five. Okay, um, I'm only laughing there because you you never give a star rating or a, a star rating unless it's three out of five. I know. <laughs> I was in about fifty-one episodes. Moment. In about fifty-one episodes, about four times, Beck has gone three out three of five, five. <laughs> and other than that, never given a star rating. Well, no, it's just it's kind of you know it's it's yeah. good. But it packs a lot in. There's just there's a lot to cover. Um, I just it all suffers under the weight of everything that it has to deal with, really. Um, but, but I mean, performances are great. So it's just average. Hmm. Star Trek Three, Becca, three stars. <laughs> uh, Generations, Becca, star, three stars. The rest, <laughs> don't know. <laughs> I want to go through like the rest of our like films we've ever covered. Now I'm just get star ratings on Becca. Now it's <laughs> a five-hour show where we get three out of five. Three out of five. Three, three out of five. <laughs> You got five out of five. Becca, what would you give Dr. No? Seven out of ten. Please <laughs> <laughs> change the like, the. No, I don't know. Five out of ten now. Well, no, I'm just trying to say it's a bit, it's a bit average. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I'd give it a five out of seven myself. <laughs> I'll give it two hot dogs. Popcorns. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, James Murphy, if you're listening to this, we will see if we can get her to do a spin off called Jack Off and Nori because we know you like her voice. Oh. oh dear. I don't think you'll be listening to us much longer. You'll, you, you, you'll be giving every show seven out of five out of ten. <laughs> three out of five, three out of five. What would you give Doctor No? Seven. <laughs> My point is, it's a bit average, is what I'm trying to say. You know, I'm not, I, I don't, no, I don't give rankings. 15, That's why there were three out of five. I didn't take it seriously. Yeah. She would have given it about seven out of 13 if Brent Spiner hadn't had a piece. <laughs> 12 out of 10. <laughs> is that what she went by the two hot dogs? <laughs> There's no... I remember, I remember <clears> the radio <throat> they changed the rating from like stars to hot dogs to popcorn and everything. I was just like, just pick one and stick with it. Don't change it around you know you'd be very tough at the concession stand (laughs) if you were working there you have one or the other you can't have you had a hot dog last week don't go change your mind now (laughs) (laughs) nachos fuck off (laughs) okay i'm gonna pause now while i play some irrelevant jolly piece of music after this becca will tell you some stuff come on carl check back (laughs) 
So, yes, fun fact number one. Obviously, this is the final film performance of James Dewan as Scotty, which is very sad. Oh. Um, I like how every time. time you say something very sad, you go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you say that when she doesn't like something as well, and I just didn't like it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's okay, Becky, you're allowed. It's a different noise. <laughs> I know. Mm. I bet you did that for a few shows because it sounds so like apologetic for your opinions like, cut that out <laughs> cut that shit <laughs> no obviously yeah and obviously the last time that we see him on screen is Scotty um, and obviously we don't see Nimoy Spock as, for the aforementioned reasons <laughs> as a fun fact <laughs> so fun fact was <laughs> so and so well that's it because obviously you know I send, send a list before obviously so that we don't mention him in the show <laughs> I just to make sure that they're correct as well. But it didn't happen, so now I'm like... Patricia <clears throat> Routledge. <laughs> she also Bruce, doesn't appear in this film. Bruce, Bruce Willis and James Duhon were in a film together around this time, weren't they? Um, which was... Uh, and Shatner. Um, which was... Uh, loaded uh, Weapon 1. Loaded Weapon. Yeah, yeah. Loaded Weapon 1. <laughs> uh, and it was pretty... Jason, James Duhon was literally played Scotty. Yeah. What other facts can I find quickly last minute? Careful, you're making us look unprepared. It's been quite professional so far. I know they did designed an entire uniform and um, ditched it. What, as, as opposed to just the pants or something? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just walks around in their because they didn't bother designing the rest. <laughs> These people. Sorry, we didn't design the left arm. <laughs> they did actually. Yeah, there was going to be a new uniform. I haven't seen it though. It's um, you can you can see it, it basically the one the toys that came out on because because the way toys are made, um, with films where they have to be ready so long before the film comes out, um, for the lead times, um, which is kind of a bit half of the reason why they didn't have. So many rays around when uh, when when the Force Awakens came out, literally because they, did, they weren't told much about them because of JJ Abrams' secrecy. But um, the original Star Trek Generations toys had them in the original uniform, the, these new uniforms that they designed, um, which were not massively different. Um, but uh, and then they just kind of ditched them and then went to using a mix of the Next Generation ones and the Deep Space Nine ones. Okay, that'll count as a second fact. Um, fact number this... three, British director David Carson started his directorial career by doing an episode of Coronation Street in the 80s. I don't know which one, I don't know what happened, but I don't that's know where which it started. One. There's about four a week, though. Back in the 1980s, it could have been anyone. It was episode 23,000. Is that why there's a cat so prominently in this film? Yeah. Is it the same yes. one from the... Uh... Same one that's spot to seen on, on the cobbles of Corrie. Is that um, why Ten Forward was actually just serving Newton and Ridley's? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, actually, there's a fun fact that I'd like some fans or any of you guys know. Um, I was looking on the various couple of websites and it was saying that um, this film was the first one to have a website you know, dedicated to it, to kind of to advertise it online. But then other sources I've seen have said um, that accolade belongs to the Stargate movie. Okay, so what you're saying is fun facts has become fun facts? Fun facts? I'm on Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, just because I, I don't know, I don't know. I always thought 
personally that it was um, Stargate, but I'm not 100% certain. Um, if any of you guys know, I, I, know. I just kind of think shouting "That's fun, folks!" after that, after you just basically being confused, <laughs> isn't, isn't necessarily as hard hitting. That's fun. I don't know. Maybe. That, yeah, that's fun, folks. Cutting edge journalism there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you pick up a copy. You pick up a copy of the Daily Telegraph, and it just says on the back, "Does anyone know the result of last night's match?" <laughs> well, I, I could do research, but I couldn't get a cohesive answer. But somewhere, somewhere out there, some hardened fan might go, "Actually, I know the answer to that." And hopefully, they'll be nice and tweet us or Facebook us or email us and say, "Ah, I can I tell don't you the be Facebooked by my fans. <laughs> Sounds filthy. <laughs> Not you personally, I'm, but I'm sure show. maybe you could look on like um, what should we call it? Um, the Internet Archive, the Wayback Machine. Oh yes, I have a look at that. I'll hop in uh, there I and think... off I go. <laughs> yeah. Check on the imdb.com. Um, yeah, I do have a fun fact. Thanks to Charlie, as he mentioned earlier. Yay! Um, yeah, Soren has a screeching line. He's like, well, his heart wasn't in it. Um, and apparently there was a scene that was left on the cutting room floor, um, in which. The forge was tortured. Obviously, there's reference to the um, a nanoprobe in his heart. Um, but obviously, that scene was not left in the film, so it renders it redundant. Oh, <laughs> oh. that was our, that was our oh. thoughts on it. That, that's fun. I actually quite like to do. I do my fun facts and say, look, this can't be mentioned in the film, because, in the film, in the podcast because of the fun facts. We're using a therefore... lot of question marks tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be saying this can't be mentioned in the film. <laughs> I'm on Burgundy. Um, but yeah, so that, that's the, that's why I do it. Just A, they might be wrong. And B, you know, so they didn't mean the fact they no, might be fun. To be fair, she sent through the fun facts tonight and then we forgot what they were. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very fun, carried, clearly. They just carried on regardless. <laughs> Although, um, con- contrary to popular belief, the film's title is Star Trek Generations with no colon. <gasps> no colon, oh my god. What he means Shock by horror. that is there's no colon in it, not the words with no colon. <laughs> <laughs> now, they're knocking on a bit, but we're not <laughs> suggesting the old members of the crew had, had their colons removed. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Star Trek generation with no colon. <laughs> I think you could function with a colon, could you? I, I don't know. I don't know. That's one for Google, isn't it? <laughs> Next <laughs> week's fun fact. Fun fact? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that's very unprofessional of me. I shall try to do better next time. Yeah, to be fair, we're not getting much money for this. It's not technically professional. <laughs> no. Um, apparently, you can. apparently, you can what? You can live without a colon. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant yeah. you could get some money for this. That's, <laughs> apparently, that's, you can. Un- oh. that's possibly unlikely, believe me. You can <laughs> live without a colon. All right. But you need okay. to wear a colostomy bag. Yeah, you would, obviously. Yeah, I was thinking, hold on a minute, you could function yeah. without it. There's people like Crohn's and things like that, apparently. Yeah, have. no. Yeah. No, obviously. That's fun, folks. Hey. <laughs> yes. I was just looking up one of the Google results and it says, my girlfriend had her colon removed, but she's in a coma. No. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> no, That's the sex has never been better. <laughs> I know the Lord Jesus will save her. Can you live without pain? Okay. Uh. Sorry, that yeah. probably sounds really guy mean. in the clinic, Buck's really looking after her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
We're doing Obviously, very well. in middle age, you probably progress to a semicolon. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I think we've I think we've raised the tone of debate after our very silly commentaries. <laughs> Definitely. But next week we're going to see a slice of a nearer future, which means Becca. Do you expect us to return? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you expect us to return? We'll talk with Ted Danson and stuff. This is the dangers of recording late at night before I get very tired and confused and I was waiting my lunch yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm just waiting for like Becca to go like um, um, next week we'll return with first contact social media yeah where can we find us all while I regain my composure okay uh, while Becca regains her composure you can find me at the pasty kid 1976 on twitter I'm not sure where you can find me once she's regained her composure though <laughs> uh, you can find me at um, on twitter at Cinematronics uh, and uh, where this, uh, you can find my website where we actually host this podcast, uh, as well as uh, my podcast, which I barely update anymore, but hopefully that will someday happen again. But yeah, until then, you can find Do You Talk on cinematronics.co.uk. In about six months' time, me and Chris will do a summer preview or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the films we missed, like, since, yeah. Or we'll, you know, we'll get online to slag off Wonder Woman or something. <laughs> I, you know, I've got a sneaking feeling that film's going to be shit. Really? I'm shocked. Yeah. DC have, DC have been fucking, like, hitting them all out the park. Because so well. that's, there's a lot of, like, pressure on that film to be good with it being Wonder Woman, and I don't, I think it's going to disappoint. Uh, it's got Chris Pine in it, so it'll have Gravitas and shit. <laughs> the trailer is good, though. Yeah, no, no, the, the trailer does good, but it's, it's more like a gut feeling. Like, I, I think, I don't think I'm sold on Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. I think I think that performance is not going to be live up to what we need to be. But anyway, that's that's just well, a Linda Carter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Stallone in Cliffhanger. I I would see that. Yeah, I would see what Stallone as Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just for the shit with his Rambo hair. Just, I I'm just picturing it as Rocky Balboa, but in the second film where he does the adverts, where he films the commercials and they don't go well. He films one as Wonder Woman. <laughs> the morning I put it on, so I smile mainly. Uh. <laughs> Becca has seen them. Yet. No, I haven't. I got that all to come. Rocky is coming, folks. Not literally. <laughs> Not literally. Okay. <laughs> legs, he wouldn't do that. Wait, what is what, 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 what have we got next after Star Trek? Is it uh... Superman? Is it Superman? Then Marvel? Then then. Then what? what then is it, when is it Rocky? Oh, we could change the order after that. We were going to do the all the westerns. Long, of the short, day, long short, long followed short, long short. By uh, the westerns. Blimey, that's a, all, uh, all the westerns. Every western ever made. Every western. It won't be all the westerns. Just a Starting with Cactus Jack. Some, some westerns, I think. Arnold Schwarzenegger. There you go. Westerns starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Somebody else has seen it. Awesome. Fucking great. Oh dear, who is that? Oh yeah, unlucky song. Uh, Texas Attack with Kirk Douglas and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, we were going to do. We've got uh, we've got Superman next, then uh, Marvel, then it's the Leone westerns, then it's we've got Tarantino. Batman as well. Tarantino. Batman yeah. hasn't been announced yet. Well, I guess it just has. Um, well, I think, well, I, think, think I think we're going to have to do Batman after doing. Um, 
Yeah, we're going to have to do Batman. We were also going to do Star Wars and the Rocky films, but I mean, we might change the order a little bit. But it's definitely Superman next. Is that all five Leone westerns? Uh, well, four of them. Not including um, a fist for the dynamite. No, uh, because we wanted to row back from every western ever made, and I've over rowed. <laughs> Going back to the likes of Stagecoach. So I've gone back too far. We're going to do the first 10 minutes of a fistful of dollars. That's it. And then swap over to you, Jimbo. Yeah. Yo, Jimbo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Wade from. Isn't that what Wade said? You're Jimbo. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's another one. It's uh, all adaptations of, uh, of, of the Kurosawa. Of, of Seven yeah. Samurai that War. Mean, um, does that mean we have to do Kurosawa movies as well? Yeah, Jimbo. No. <laughs> Then if we do Kurosawa, then do we have to, you know... Because technically, um, License to Kill is Ujimbo as well, so you can do that again. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's all right, then. <laughs> so we can I do it twice. We'll like it this time. <laughs> <laughs> I might enjoy it more. Will you still have weird hair? Um, I would think it might be the same film we've already seen. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. As, <laughs> as, as, much as, as much as during it, we ended up like talking about if they remade it and who cast. <laughs> so we ended up casting all the same people. <laughs> we ended up, well, Dalton still looks the part and she doesn't look bad at the moment and Robert Darby could still do that now. And we ended up recasting it with all the same actors. <laughs> what Sharky? Is Sharky still around? I don't know, to be honest with you. No, I'm sure there would have to be changes somewhere. But he was in as- Loaded Weapon as well. He was, yeah. We went through the main characters and we're like, who would play that now? Well, actually, he still could. And we yeah. went, and the whole film was basically, we ended up with a recast film that was basically all the same people. Yeah, didn't really recast it much. Yeah, no. he's still alive. Um, I think probably the guy who plays Felix would be too old now. He's nearly 90. Oh, David Edison. Yeah, David Edison's nearly 90. Fuck, is he? So, yeah. This is why you get um, Jeffrey Wright back in to play Felix. Yeah, I don't think he can quite uh, deliver the line, Sanchez! You want to Sanchez. Hold the fruit, Sanchez. Yeah. That's why you eat the peppers. Yeah. Would he still have to marry the woman with three tits from Mallrats? <laughs> <laughs> We've gone off topic here slightly. <laughs> I suppose it could be the woman with three tits from uh, the new Total Recall. <sighs> yeah. Well, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What a what a singular vision that had. One side of the planet looked a bit like Blade Runner, and the other side looked a bit like Minority Report. Brilliant. Becca, what are we doing next week? Do you expect to talk? We'll return with Star Trek First Contact. <laughs>